1: Welcome to episode... Is this 23 or should this be like 22.1? What do you think, Eric? I, I It feels like a decimal episode. Let's call it 22.1 because that's just fun. Um, of, of Chin Music. It's a podcast presented by Fangraphs. My name is Kevin Goldstein. I'm in DeKalb, Illinois. And joining me, as you've already heard, his lovely voice from
0: Tempe, Arizona. It's the guru. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm... Um... Finding out what it's like to be 32 and then be in an airport for 13 hours and then feel your body.
1: <laughs> That's right. You did You did travel adventure coming back from Denver.
0: It's definitely different. Yeah, like we had uh, – there was rain here in Phoenix and there were two blackouts at the Denver airport in the middle of the day. <laughs> uh, and it like stacked. They grounded all the outgoing flights and then they stacked behind one another and then our crew on the plane – They timed out. They timed out, and so then we had to wait for a crew from Philly to arrive in Denver, and then fly uh, to Phoenix. And then I got into it a little bit with a guy who was treating the desk personnel poorly after they announced another delay. Oh, good for you!
1: I like good for you. You should do that.
0: Uh, And uh, I did not end up getting anything out of that. I didn't even get an attaboy from like (laughs) the gate agent or anything like that. They just kind of wanted to be done with people that day but um but yeah it was uh it was an adventure and now it's like oh stiffness in like the hip area is a new thing for me so um but yeah I, I'm good I had a good time in Denver and watched a lot of good baseball and uh and back in Arizona now and it's not nearly as hot as it was when I left it's cloudy and it's gonna rain today so I'm stoked
1: what was your uh, what was your total lateness you were supposed to land at what time when you woke up and what time did Six. you actually land? Six hours. Did you have to send it on a plane or did you at least have able to sit in a terminal and find a bar or a restaurant?
0: Yeah, I was hopping around the Denver airport. Okay, uh, good. I went from – I saw two terminals that day just kind of hanging out and moving around and, and yeah, it was uh, not like – I know J.J. Cooper was on the, the tarmac for like two and a half hours because he was on a plane when the blackouts occurred oh. and like they grounded it. Uh-huh. So – i would rather have the extended time in the airport rather than sit no question in my airport like in the airplane seat that long
1: yeah um you know as someone who for eight years accumulated uh over one million marriott points and a few hundred thousand flight miles i i, I know your pain we could do a whole podcast on travel nightmares Stares. um So, uh, you know, we we obviously last week's podcast was uh, a draft preview kind of special thing, and people were asking for a draft recap. I kind of wanted to also do a normal episode, which is probably which is already in your queue uh, with Jay Jaffe uh, and our special guest Josh, the Graffiti Guy. Um, But we still we still wanted to give you the draft recap. So, what Eric and I are going to do is literally just kind of walk through all thirty teams um, and talk about their draft, and we'll see how long it takes and. You know, This is a situation where, um, because it's two podcasts, it's going to be long. This thing's not going to get edited really tightly. You're going to hear us clicking around on things and and stuff like that. And you might hear our phones ring in the background. And that's just life. We'll deal with it. Um, Let's just get going, Eric. You ready? Yep. We're going to do this in three segments. We're going to start with the Eastern Divisions of Baseball. uh, And we'll go in standings of the order. Start in the American League East with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, The story of the Boston Red Sox, obviously, was what happened uh, in the first round. They have the fourth overall pick. And the best player in the draft fell to them Um, when it became apparent that Pittsburgh was going to go a different route and sign Henry Davis uh, and try to redistribute their bonuses, which we will get to in a moment. But good job, Pittsburgh. Um, You know, we both got indications um, Sunday afternoon that the Rangers had suddenly just kind of become lighter or bust. Like if Jack Leiter is on the board, they're taking Jack Leiter, period. And so then the question would be, what would Detroit do? Detroit's kind of stuck to their guns uh, to, and took Jackson Job, And all of a sudden, Marcelo Meyer was just there for the taking, if you will, uh, for Boston at number four.
0: Yeah, it was surprising. Uh, it's kind of this weird sports like turn a corner moment in, I, I think, a lot of franchises where the the team is playing well on the field. And then you can't believe they got the guy they did in the draft whether it's like the Spurs you know getting Kawhi Leonard or whatever like this this type of thing happens in sports a lot of the time where uh it feels like highway robbery that one of the better teams just got one of the better prospects in the draft and it happened here uh I don't think that the you know Marcelo Meyer's not a 100 percent slam dunk shortstop right like this isn't Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, like high school defender type guy. Right, Uh, he's also
1: not like your overwhelming number one talent, like like a Harper or Strasburg.
0: He's just he's the guy we thought was the best, but there were arguments to be made for other players. Right, and even historically, like would you take him or high school Machado? Right, like it's there's a gap between him and Mm -hmm. other types of high end prep uh, hitters. But yeah, it's like chance to be an all star shortstop who hits thirty bombs. If everything comes together and uh, I, you know, aside from that, I don't think that even though this guy was on the board for them at four, it doesn't feel like they mortgaged their draft uh, entirely. They ended up with Judd Fabian in the second round. Who's it's going to be a boomer bust tools type center fielder with power and ton of strikeouts. But then like Tyler McDonough in the third round at NC state, I think is going to be a good multi-positional up the middle guy. Elmer Rodriguez Cruz in the fourth round is like plus frame, and arm strength for his age just i talked to someone
1: from puerto Rico who'd seen him and just Uh like his term was oozes projection um you know it's not a not a ton there right now but like this is a super skinny 6'3 kid super athletic and loose
0: and then they got your boy in the 11th round which i think was unexpected
1: yeah what happened let's talk about that they took nico Cavadas in the 11th round from notre dame this is the first baseman who had um some of the the biggest exit velos in in the draft um I, I don't I wonder if he threw out a bigger price tag than was necessary. He was seen by most because, you know, kind of going third, fourth, or fifth round. Um, and all of a sudden he was still on the board for day three. And I wonder if he kind of overestimated what those exit bosses would do just because he is uh he is a bat only player. He is a, a a twenty runner and a substandard defensive first baseman, so you're just kinda betting on the bat. Um I imagine they if, if they took him in the eleventh round, I imagine they have the money to sign him and, and the, kind of their they saved money for the most part, kind of six through 10.
0: Yeah. I, the one guy who I've done some background on since the draft, who I, I was kind of confused about is the six rounder Daniel McElvany from Bonita Vista high school in California. It's like high school kid. Yeah. It's a shortstop with like not real tools. Um, so like of, of the guys as I'm looking through, like, all right, who's going to go on the Red Sox board when we're done, uh, covering the draft and like, are starting to migrate these names over. Like that six round high schooler is probably a no. Cavadas, I do think, like it's just a low variance. This guy's a pre arb DH or mm-hmm. bench bat, like that gets passed around the way Vogelbach has. Or,
1: or like a Chris Crone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the sleeper from here is Chris Troy, the 12th rounder from UCSB, just because it's like six fastball carry. It's the low 90s right now, but if he throws harder, then like there's a real fastball here.
1: Um, there was some talk that Fabian would go back to school. If he didn't go in the first round, he went 40th overall, uh, the slot. There's a little under 2 million.
0: Um, I don't think they took him if they didn't think they could sign him. Yeah, I agree. Um, and this is one where the pre-draft workout would have informed the mock had we done like full two rounds. Cause this is one of the, maybe two places that we knew Fabian had a, a pre-draft workout. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm sure there were more than that, but yeah, like that was, that's an interesting tidbit to file away.
1: Yeah, he had, there was a they had a private workout
0: with uh, Henry
1: Davis, Judd Fabian, and Brady House. Um, and ended up taking uh, Fabian. I wonder, well, I don't, I have no idea where they saw House. I mean, we never saw heard House attached to them at four, um, but they, they did work him out. Um, I mean, overall, I think Boston had, you know, a good draft. And we should preface this by saying, like, we were talking about the draft, of the week of the draft, and these are every take is hot. You know, we sure. won't know for five years whether these work or not, but people want to hear us talk about the drafts. So we're going to do, you know, we're no going off what we know right now. But, um, I mean, like you said, to be the first place team in the American League East and get a guy who's seen as the best player in the draft, that's a, a hell of a coup for that team.
0: Judd Fabian, uh, over, under, career outcome for him. Uh, Franchi Cordero. That's a pretty good one. I was trying to think of a
1: better name. Um that's a pretty good one. I think Judd Fabian will get to the big leagues. Um, if I had to bet on his peak, I bet it's just kind of a fourth outfielder.
0: And that would be pl- fine.
1: Guy who can play all three and not hit for
0: average and run into a bunch. You know, right. That kind of player. Feels like he's going to have some sort of utility just because the tools are so big. Like there's power, there's speed. As rosters continue to expand, this guy plays a role on your team if you gotta run into one or need a defensive replacement or someone to run. Uh, but that's like what I've been saying about Jaron Kendall as I kept him alive for the last couple mm-hmm. of years and it just hasn't still is just like a deuce batten, it doesn't matter.
1: Right, right.
0: Um and Jared Kendall is like the exact same kind of profile heading into the draft
1: of a super tooled-out kid with huge swing and miss. Yep. Um, let's move on to the Rays. Uh the Rays took a player that was starting to get some late first round buzz heading into it and and, in carson williams kind of the the ibm of high school players if you will if you're looking for like the safety valve of high school players which are risky inherently i mean that's that's the thing it's 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 a socal shortstop athlete who performed well you know it's it's, it's it's a good look overall um williams was not announced as a two-way player. You could de- announce people. There was a two-way designation in, in this year's draft. No one used it for any player, but um, you know Williams does come in at times to pitch for to, to, for pitcher to Tory Pines. Get up to ninety-five. Um, I've heard like you know the positive things to say about him kind of end with that statement. Um, I he told teams he didn't want, he wanted to go out as a position player. I don't know what the Rays think. Obviously, the Rays do have a thing for um, for two-way players, but I don't know if they're going to try that or not. Um, he also threw out a big price tag or he was going to go to school. We had a commitment to Cal and they seem to have probably saved that money with their comp pick and Cooper Kinney, another high school infielder who was seen as more of kind of a late second, early third round talent and went in that. So I think that's kind of where those two bonus pools average out.
0: I think that I know at some point during the process that, yeah, Carson Williams just sort of figured, hey, uh, in the second round we'll be fine. And then, as he was comfortably in the mid nineties, like sometimes five to seven, coming just out of sh- off a shortstop, cold, uh, like he moved into the back of the first round area. And um, you know, there was a scouting director who told me he thought that he would get close to two, two five, somewhere in there when all was said and done, which is you know about slot where he went. Um, but I heard he threw out a three plus price tag. Okay, um, Cooper Kinney, the the. He was announced as a second baseman, which is interesting. This is more of a third base type of body and athlete. And the assumption, as you talk to people across baseball about players in this draft, is that this guy was going to be a third baseman. It's a physical, projectable, lefty-hitting infielder, 6'3", 200. Probably going to be 6'3", 225, 230 at at maturity, just based on the way high schoolers typically develop physically by the time they're in their – 21 22 area. Uh this is a guy who, you know, I was told we underrated a little bit uh feel for contact with body projection likely to stick on the infield somewhere. Like that mix is is pretty favorable. Um but not like this isn't a gargantuan tools guy or anything like that. Uh and then yeah, we talked about the the two-way thing is interesting. We talked about it on effectively wild Mason Hour in the fifth round from San Jack junior college outfielder with an elite arm. This guy's, you know, Yeah. Been that, in the mid-90s on the mound, too, and has, like, one of the best outfield throwing arms I've ever seen on a high school where he was on that, that Midwest area code team.
1: Yeah, he's a tooled-out kid. He put up, um, you know, I know it's Juco, but he put up some PlayStation numbers there this year.
0: And then Ryan Spikes, their third-round shortstop from Georgia, he's, he's a high school two-way guy, too. Like, I've, I've seen him on the mound, um, and he's athletic, con- compact frame, you know, likely infield fit. And I haven't done digging because um, I'm just going. I go off. I'm going alphabetically over the weekend about like, do we miss anybody who needs to be on the the pro mm-hmm. board when we're all said and done? And um, I have seen spikes. I want to know based on the Rays like short levered hitters, right? And this guy's five nine. I'm wondering if there's abnormal bat to ball performance from the showcase circuit here that um that we missed. Uh, that might be driving the Ryan Spikes profile a little bit here, so that's what I'm working on. Kyle Manzardo, the second rounder from Washington State. He's
1: pretty interesting. Like he was the, he was a he's a model guy. Yeah. Um, left handed bat, first base only. Um there's not it's not crazy power, but it's plus power and and uh, checks a lot of contact boxes as well. Yeah guy who can hit balls hard and also consistently hit balls is a is a pretty nice thing.
0: Yep. Uh and then I don't know like Mason Montgomery in the sixth round out of Texas Tech is like a changeup execution guy whose other stuff I don't think is very good, but the Rays really like change up execution guys. That's how they especially from the left side, that you know, they'll they have some dudes who've just made a living off of that. So Yeah.
1: And Patrick Wicklander out of Arkansas in the eighth round is a a performance guy, He's a guy who like put up great numbers in the SEC this year at Arkansas, but it's not it's not crazy stuff. It's kinda yeah, low nineties with a upper seventies kind of slurvy breaking ball. He just there's some funk there and some ability to locate. Cool. Um, but overall, I mean, the Rays. You know, we think of them as kind of a conservative team, but they they tend to they went high school this year. Their, their big money was spent on high school dudes.
0: And I think there's something to be said for trying to draft players who, even if they're higher variance, higher risk type players, who can become the type of talent that you can't acquire on the open market because you're the Rays. Yeah, and yeah, I think that they they tend to mix it up. Uh, you know, i, I they're opter they're opportunistically aggressive, and they all, almost always have a comp pick because they're the Rays, uh, and sometimes have two because they're the Rays and one of their free agents has left, and they've gotten compensation for them. Uh, and yeah, so they, they tend to mix it up at least a little bit. But um, but yeah, this was a high school heavy draft for them, and as I've been positing verbally for a little while mm-hmm. now, like that's just how you do big deals is with the high school guys who are further away from the 40 man. Right. Um, Toronto blue Jays. Uh, they got your boy uh,
1: Gunnar Hoagland. We didn't, you know, it yeah. seemed like he was going to go in the teens. He went a little lower than expected at 19. He just signed uh, literally minutes ago. They announced that they signed him. Uh, it was for uh, just under slot. Uh, the slot was three, three, six. I think he got somewhere around three, two, five. Um, it's a good get. You know, this guy had a TJ and it probably slid and it obviously slid him. I think a, a healthy Hoagland goes, let's just say loosely seven to 12. Um, and so to get that kind of talent at 19, I think is something you have to be happy with. You've made the the really good point that I think we're going to see a lot of pitchers shut down. So it's even kind of less missed time compared to his class, if you will. Um, but they went pitching heavy after that as well. Um, their, their third round pick, they didn't have a second round pick because of the Springer signing, but their third round, Ricky Tiedemann, um is a is a lefty JUCO arm was seen as the top JUCO arm. It's like good body, good stuff. And he'd frustrate scouts because he didn't really dominate JUCO performance. You'd walk away going, Man, I really like this guy, but it, it he just got hit a little bit. And um Chad Dallas is like this kind of stocky SEC performer. Um I think one of the more interesting guys is Irv Carter in the fifth, who was um first round pick Andrew Painter's rotation mate at at Calvary Christian and is a, a Big, big, strong dude with, with some projection left.
0: Yeah, that high school team must have been unbelievable to watch. The between those two arms and then Alex Uloa, the Astros. The Astros yeah. Was. Yeah, and I saw, I
1: I've been there. I saw Jake Eater pitch there. Yeah, during, it's during one his, of those senior year.
0: Schools that you don't always remember exactly who comes out of there, but you know you see it a lot yeah. when you're working on draft stuff. And yeah, Carter's interesting. Um that breakthrough series thing that MLB does, which is really fantastic and is often in Arizona on Martin Luther King weekend. And there will be three amateur events in town on that weekend uh, every year. And the breakthrough series is just guys like Carter throwing bullpens. It's just like MLB brings in African-American kids prospects for the next three drafts. And so the one in 2020 before pandemic shutdown stuff that I attended was like Carter. Elijah, Elijah Green was there. Uh, Andrew Jones was there. Like most of the big name black players for the next couple of drafts were just all there. And Carter had the best bullpen of that event uh, in 2020. Just three pitches, feel for locating when he's like within himself and poise, but you know, some on man. That's not always there. Like he's a young kid who has some maturing to do on the field. Uh, But yeah, it's three pitches with a body and uh, feel for executing all of them.
1: And then the the Blue Jays took pitchers with nine of their first 10 picks I know and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get to the Angels who had the no hitter draft but um, they were not alone obviously they were the most extreme but this was an incredibly pitching heavy draft I think a lot of that came down to comfort um, the, the the college hitting class was weaker than normal yeah. but it just for the most part you know that the Angels were not alone there were plenty of teams that were very very heavy on pitching the Jays were one of them and I think it just came down to like, we have data on these guys we trust, and we don't have that on the hitters.
0: Yeah, it, until you had said that on Effectively Wild, I hadn't thought about it that way. But, yeah, I think that's probably very true. And some, I think it, it's supported by who the teams are who leaned on pitching. I do think some of the, the hey, we're trying to compete and we need pitching uh, piece of it is was also driving behavior. Yeah. Um, it just has for the longest time. People assume that they can develop college pitching very quickly and like buttress whatever they have going on at the big league level uh, with speed, and it doesn't always work. But but yeah, it's what Toronto did for sure. The the one dude on day three who I hope they get done is Damiano Palmazani from Southern Nevada, who doesn't really have a position, but he runs well, mm-hmm. and there's like a real feel to hit and and power there. Um, he's he's a bad only guy, but I think he's pretty interesting. He was the, he was the best junior college hitter I saw uh, all spring. Uh, moving on to the Yankees. Uh, you know, I know Yankees fans want excitement and
1: they want guys to get excited about, and that's just not how the Yankees draft. The Yankees are a very kind of safe, boring drafting team and they get their excitement and their flash and their upside on the international market. It's just kind of how they operate. It's a, it's a portfolio diversification strategy. Um, you know, they took some, it was a mix of, of, of hitters, and pitchers and, and, very college heavy, um Trey Sweeney who really started to move up boards it felt a lot weak moving it up to the draft I think he checked a lot of model boxes because there's power there's contact and there's walks um I don't think he's a shortstop in the end it's big kid he's like 6'4 210 um but there's definitely some offensive potential there um Cooper Bowman who is the answer to a personal trivia question of who was the last player i went and to go see uh as as a as a someone who worked in baseball and was scouting amateur players it was cooper bowman at iowa western um kind of a grindy second baseman who can run a little bit um brennan beck's like a safe back-end starter ceiling but you know he's polished and it might not take long um they did take one high school kid who i'm sure you are uh, familiar with arizona kid brock Selvich in the third round who is a uh a, a lefty and a physical kid do you like him?
0: Not really, but I had a good <laughs> I never had a good look at him you know like this was one where during the pandemic and obviously we know about Selvage here in Arizona for the last couple of years he's an lSU commit. He's a lefty yeah, famous shooter. kid right um but you know like his pre-draft summer I saw velo and that was sort of it and then the spring during varsity ball there were no strikes. And he was in trouble really early during this spring, during the process, just because Thatcher heard and Malachi Knight and like some of the prospects from the Pacific Northwest and NorCal came down to play in Arizona in like February and March because of COVID restrictions, in their home States and because the weather's nicer here. And so there was all of a sudden there was like an abnormal amount of heat just sort of wandering around looking for stuff to do Mm. before the division one season had even begun here in Arizona. And like, Guys, decision makers were in town to see Juco ball and these high schoolers and ran into Selvage. And Selvage did not throw strikes like in a really bad, scary way. And that continued throughout the spring. And most teams were just sort of out. And then you had the coaching change at LSU. And Selvage goes to the combine and looked really, really good there in one outing like through strikes was up to 95. Uh, and yeah, just like enough teams off the combine look and off of his perceived signability considering what was going on at LSU, which, you know, made the situation more uncertain for him. We're suddenly in. And so I think that he might get like close to 1.5 million here, uh, which is, uh, well, it's like almost three times, three times slot. Like that's, that's the number that was floated out there before the draft. So uh, it'll be interesting. In the sixth round, they got Richard Fitz who had a big fall. Yeah. He he was like, yeah,
1: he thought he might be able to pitch his way into the first round based on the fall and just kind of, he had some injuries, non-arm injuries. Um, kind of dropped him. Um, Tyler Hardman's your classic kind of first baseman who put up numbers at Oklahoma. Um, kind of interesting guy in the eleventh uh, with Jack yeah. Neely from Ohio State, who is, is six foot eight and can get to the upper nineties at times, but the whole the whole thing's kind of messy.
0: Yeah, and he's hopped around too, from like one school to to San Jack, and then out to Ohio State, and I don't even know if he ended up actually on campus it at all three of those spots like there's yeah
1: i'm not it, sure either yeah
0: yeah and then dom keegan in the 19th round who they announced as a catcher out of vanderbilt a guy like with power and no position really but maybe he can catch we don't know just because vanderbilt's got better catchers in front of this guy who just who just played every day so
1: um next up is the final team in the american league is the baltimore orioles um Eric and I had lots of discussions leading into the draft and I said, I don't know. I think they might not do it. I don't think that I'm not sure they're going to do this co- like, like college bat cut a deal thing. And Eric kept saying, of course they're going to do it. And I said, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure. And, and um, let the record show that Eric was right uh, with the fifth pick. They took Colton Kowser. I don't think they're going to get a huge haircut here. Cause he had plenty of landing spots in, in the kind of six to 10 range. Um, but this is I, I like this player a lot. I think this is a I it's I think it's a corner outfielder. He's gonna get sent out in center. I think it's a right fielder in the end. But um, you yeah, know, athletic kid, good frame, really nice swing, real pop, um, good good command of the strike zone. Um I, I mean, despite the fact that they still they didn't go they they you know, they're thinking about Khalil Watson and, and, and some of the other high school shortstops on the board and like Lawler, but at the end of the day they still went to the college bat, but this is still a good player.
0: Yeah, and I think his chances of staying in center are, are maybe a little bit better than you do. but oh, okay. Um, but, like, uh, but yeah, so let's, the, if we're reliving the sequence of events that occurred here, Kouser was never directly attached to Baltimore. It just made sense. It was just a gut check thing for me to think that this is the underrated player. He's, you know, when you scout him, the scouts like him, the model driven teams like him. He's just goes to a small school and isn't famous. He's absolutely the right guy to cut with. Some of the smoke around uh, us probably projecting him here is the word right before the draft that this guy wasn't taking a hefty cut and anywhere in the top 10, mm-hmm. which should have been a sign that five, six, and eight at least uh, were on him. And we knew that, you know, Amiel Saude saw him. We knew Mike Michael- uh, you know, Elias saw him. Elias saw him. Uh, and then the the thing to stash away for everyone who like doesn't mock draft or follows this stuff is within 24 hours before the draft, the name that was attached to Baltimore suddenly was Matt McLean, not Colton Kausser. So next year, when there's a new name attached to Baltimore 24 hours before the draft and it feels new and kind of out of the blue and. And you know maybe it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't feel right to you. Just don't trust it, okay? That's smoke screen. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Love Kouser. Connor Norby in the second round is like what they did last year with Jordan Westberg, grindy second
1: baseman who can hit. It's not, right. it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's just that you know it's this five ten second base line drive machine.
0: And then uh, comp round B, Reed Trimble, tooled up switch hitter at Southern Miss who has a lousy approach, but it's center field plus run. He had 17 bombs. He performed in the postseason against better pitching. I really dig him. Uh, And then John Rhodes in the third round is another guy where it's just like, hey, athlete with okay numbers, uh, slug, but like an incomplete offensive profile. It's kind of interesting that really between Norby – norby and dante williams are the this guy performed plays up the middle and then trimble and john Rhodes are like hey visually this guy is kind of tooled up and athletic but there's something statistical that feels flimsy
1: yeah and, and Rhodes is you know one of the few guys i can point at as someone who maybe uh took advantage of the extra month in the sense that he had a very disappointing spring at kentucky there was talk about him maybe being a late first round pick and he had just had a bad bad year with the with the wildcats but Uh, end up to going to to summer league ball and looking much better and I think it it helped his cause quite a bit and you know we talked about all the pitching earlier and most teams focus on
0: pitching not Baltimore just uh, one pitcher in the first couple days of the draft yeah and you mentioned on EW that if Colton Couser was a cut we didn't really see evidence of it and you're right like there's only one high schooler here it's Creed Williams in the eighth round catcher from Texas and I I have an NP on him
1: so let's move to the National League East, and, and we'll start with the Mets. And the Mets um, were the beneficiaries of the fall of Kumar Rocker, uh, who went 10th. But um, because it's New York and because it's the Mets and because the media, um, you know, it, it created quite a frenzy. You know, Kumar Rocker was probably the best known name in the draft. And so, you know, a lot of Mets people are like, oh, great, we got the next agram here. I can't believe he fell to us. He kind of went where he belonged in the end, right?
0: Yeah, we had him ranked 7th, and I think 10 is... Fine. Uh, I'd rather have this guy than Sam Bachman. Uh, Oh, yeah. No question. I'd rather have Rocker than... I think the chances that Rocker is peak Rocker are roughly what the chances are that Benny Montgomery becomes a star. So I feel like safer with this likely fourth starter if peak Rocker never returns. So, you know, I think it was a little bit below where I would have taken him, but not crazy, crazy low. This wasn't as... A, uh, perplexing a fall as Khalil Watson on draft night, but, but yeah, good value for the Mets if they can get him to sustain Peak Rocker, however they're going to do that. Like This is where the real money is made, right? Is like, all right, right, look at Kamar Rocker. How do you make him be awesome all the time? Like, I don't know, but I know his delivery has kind of changed. There's violence in the head. Uh, his arm slots kind of moved around a couple times during the last few years. Like Maybe there's something in there that's obvious that we're not seeing. Uh, the rest of this draft, I thought there were a lot of name guys in this draft who were famous in high school, like mm-hmm. J.T. Schwartz was a SoCal prospect of repute. Who's always hit. Like, you give him, I mean, give him that. He's performed. Carson Seymour in the sixth round from Kansas State came into the year with a lot of profile just because there was big fall velo, and then he didn't perform. Uh, Mike Vassell in the eighth round was like a $2, 2500000 million dollar guy yeah, coming out ex, of high school. Ex-famous,
1: Ex-famous high schooler.
0: Right, who went to UVA and then regressed and now went in the – In the eighth round, so I think there's a lot of, there's definitely like hit related bias on the look at this kid he bet on himself and he went to college and here he is you know Matt McLean went 17th instead of in the back of the first round and uh, whatever but like for every time that happens there are at least a couple times where there's a Mike Vassell who had two two and a half in hand coming out. And once UVA and then plateaued and regressed and now right. he goes in the eighth round.
1: And he's now going to get like one hundred and fifty to 200,000. But speaking of bonuses, um, I heard Rocker's going to get something close to six, um, which would be uh, over a million dollars over that slot. Uh, and they might have saved a little money in the second round with with Cal Ziegler, a a kind of undersized arm strength, raw uh, right-hand pitcher from Canada. Um, but for the most part, like so many other teams, they, uh, they went eight pitchers on the first couple of days and only two position players.
0: Yeah, I think uh, – I don't know. Our team's just – is this a reaction to the minor league roster s- slot piece yeah, where good can you just have injured guys who don't occupy a slot and the injured guys are just most likely to be arms? Like I, I really don't know. But yeah, I agree with you on Ziegler. Even though it's a second-round guy who's out of high school, uh, he's more like a third, fourth type of yeah, I, arms. Yeah, I, I, so bet, I like,
1: bet they save half that bonus. I bet yeah. they, I bet that, that probably feels like something around seven to $800,000. Um, yeah move on to the Phillies Uh, the Phillies with the 13th pick uh, took Andrew Painter who you know when we were doing our mocks at times we couldn't find a home for Painter nothing really made sense but we still knew he might go somewhere in the mid first even and he was a tough guy to kind of wrap your head around at times it's he was this kid's been famous for a very very long time if you talk to scouts two years ago they would have told you painters you know might be a top five pick in two years and he got better but not as as much better as people thought he would um this is nonetheless a a starter package like i said he's six seven um he's performed it's not crazy crazy stuff but it's it's you know it's ninety three, ninety six. he can spin it um and and i think you know the thing is that I think stands out for him in the sense that, you know, think about a six seven high school kid. Those kids tend to have, you know, speaking of wild arm slot variations, seem to have like inconsistent release points and control issues. He's kind of polished for a, for a big guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, he Like you said, he's just been known about for a really long time. And uh, the track record on guys this size already in high school is not great. Like Jared Kelly's rehabbing in mm-hmm. Arizona right now um, after a pretty rough look early in the spring. Uh, where like pro scouts were just like this guy really went and this guy got how much in the draft like yeah uh, so you know that that it's worth watching that with painter there's definitely some hey this guy's already kind of maxed out physically you type of risk uh, but yeah it's huge Velo with an absolute hammer and he's not totally unathletic it's not super violent effort delivery like Tyler Kolek or even like Riley Pint or quite frankly, like Jared Kelly, like there's a little bit more grace and fluidity here than is typical for a six, seven guy. And he's going to be under uh, in the first round. Like he didn't right. have uh, it's, you know, a high upside high school guy. But just because he didn't have homes likely until back of round one, uh, this is going to be under for the Phillies. And it, it, it's what enabled them to do a lot of other high schoolers. Like this is one of the more high school heavy drafts in all of baseball this year.
1: Yeah, I mean they 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 took Ethan Wilson, the college player from South Alabama, a lefty stick. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't like, I don't know what this guy's really good at. You know what I mean? It's like a lefty stick. Like, it's a solid approach. He can hit. It's average power. He doesn't really run that well. I, I
0: I don't know if I'm a big fan of this one. I liked it. Uh, we had him one spot ahead of Painter <laughs> on the on the board. I just think that yeah, like you said, it's a a performing lefty stick who I think is a little bit underrated in terms of the physical tools. I think that it's more a bunch of like 55s than it is 45s and 50s. Uh, I, I think he's got like a situational shot to play some some center field too, and have a high degree of confidence in the, the bat maxing out just because it's a shorter levered guy. Like I'm trusting what's being put on paper here a little bit more because it's short levers. And then the high school guys, Jordan Viers uh, is big – High school, corner outfield type, uh, short to the ball with power. Micah Ottenbright from Michigan is a projection arm, low 90s, uh, but definitely more advanced feel for curveball and changeup than is typical for, like, cold weather high schooler. And then Jose Pena from uh, Tampa High School is less projectable. Is just really physical, like Mm -hmm. really strong, uh, good-looking kid with – big velo and then like occasionally the curveball is good but you have to develop that and then like I think they took a couple other frame base like projection guys or whatever but then yeah. Griff McGarry in the 5th round has 3 plus pitches in like terrible command from Virginia uh, there was someone one other dude who oh TJ Rumfield in the 12th round who I watched a lot this year play for Virginia Tech, transferred from, I think, was it AM or Texas Tech maybe? Like just somewhere else where he wasn't getting run. Right. And it's just, you know, has big, big boy power from the left side, first base, third base look.
1: And I think they got a little, a fun guy to watch maybe. The, I, very, very, very much boomer bust, but Logan Cerny you know, from a smaller school from Troy in Alabama uh, is, a, is a physical outfielder. He's not the biggest dude in the world, but he's got plus power and and plus plus run. Um, and he was a 10th round pick because no one's quite sure if he's going to hit or not, but he's tooled out um, and and could be an interesting guy to keep an, keep an eye on. Let's go to the Atlanta Braves. Um, it's, you know, we, everyone thought they would take Spencer Schwellenbach in the first round. He ended up being there for them in the second. And, uh, you know, give you credit, like a month ago, you heard that they were really zeroing in on Ryan Cusick and that ended up being their guy in the first round. So, you know, we thought they'd take Cusick and Schwellenbach or Schwellenbach in the first, and they got both of them at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Do you think, what do you think the chances are Cusick can start? It's like upper 90s, t- touch 102, plus call, breaking ball, yeah, three I would command. I would call it
1: 75, 80% reliever risk. And I think that's probably right,
0: which is fine. Like, if, even if that happens, I mean, he you know, might,
1: in a pen roll, he might just be blowing 100 with a, right. with a plus breaker, you know?
0: And he might be doing it in 18 months in the big league. So, yeah, for sure.
1: Um, Schwanbach was announced as a pitcher. Um, like I said, no one used a two-day two-way designation. He also was the shortstop. Um, you know it's it's you know it's, it's, he's been up to 99, I've heard, but you know kind of more comfortably
0: 94.96. Yeah, and it's I've delivery comped him to JB. Bukowski's, maybe uh, not quite as as messy and violent, but it is that type of fastball shape. Uh, it does create a lot of lateral action on all three of his pitches. And so maybe you just throw him in the bullpen in single-inning outings. He's 94-plus with three viable pitches. Like, that's good. Uh, so, so yeah, it's another one where it's like likely to be quick-moving. Ultimately, I think the role here is in relief. It might be multi-inning relief just because of the repertoire depth. And I do think that he's uh, a good prospect and should probably – be in the forty plus tier on the Braves list as we migrate these guys over just because it's three real pitches. Uh but yeah, I I think both their first two picks are likely relievers. Yeah, and then they they went with a pitcher in the third with Dylan Dodd out
1: of out of Southeast Missouri State and then took a, a couple or three straight college infielders. Uh Luke Waddell in the fifth is you know five nine classic college performer. It might be a 70 contacts tool. Like he it it this Billy put a bat at ball is tremendous. He's just yeah. not very strong And it's not big league shortstop quality defensively because he's just not super twitchy.
0: Yep, totally agree. Cal Conley in the fourth round, uh, switch hitter with power who is not a good defensive shortstop but played short at Texas Tech. Uh, It's going to be either yes infield or no infield for this guy because of the quality of his defensive hands. Like he is just an error-prone defender. Uh, So that's either going to get better to the point of passability somewhere on the infield or it won't and he'll be... An outfielder, but still a switch hitter with power. Uh, only a two-year track record, and one of them was the pandemic-shortened year. But his numbers are really, really strong. So this might be a tip-of-the-iceberg guy. Uh, Justin Henry Malloy in the sixth round might Kinda be kind of like that well. guy. I, yeah.
1: I, I, we, he, I wrote him up once in one of our Sky Notebooks early in the college year. And it's a you know physical kid. Went to Vanderbilt and, and couldn't get played appearances there, which happens a lot. Vanderbilt loads their rosters up with tons of dudes, and then they just have too many dudes. And you know, transfers to Tech – um, like 6'2", 215, pretty solid defender. There's real power. There's real patience. Um, And the and the bad is TBD, which is why he end up in the sixth.
0: And then we've seen this, the Braves love up the middle college guys, even if it feels like they're overdrafting them. And then they, they save on those guys and then do a bunch of like mid six-figure high schoolers later. And they did it again this year. Mm-hmm. And so Adam Shoemaker in the 11th round, a Canadian lefty, Big, big velo spike over the last 12 months, like almost 10 miles an hour. He's now into the mid-90s, just a loose 6'6 Canadian kid who maybe is just scratching the surface. AJ Smith Shalver I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's just like big body, arm action, low to mid-90s. Uh, coming out of Texas, you need to develop the rest. And then like they a speed only guy Tyler Collins another high schooler from Texas uh, center field type lefty bat but really you know like the swing doesn't doesn't look like it's gonna work
1: right um, and they did one of my favorite things you can ever do which is they took a guy I don't really know anything about this guy but in the tenth round they took Dylan Spain no school no school yeah I, always, I, I still don't know anything about that guy always, always fine I think he's from Hawaii and I'm done telling you what I know about him. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I always love the no-school guys. Usually it's a homeschool situation, but uh, I'm not sure what the story is with there. Uh, Washington Nationals. uh, I think the Washington Nationals have to be really, really happy to see Brady Howe still available to them when the eighth pick in the draft came up.
0: Yep, I agree. Um, Someone who we thought, if if the Tigers would have taken him third, you know, assuming Marcelo Meyer went first, but if the Tigers had taken him third, we would not have blinked at that. We would have been like, yep, that seems right. Yep. He belongs in that range. He's got huge power and a giant baseball frame. He's going to have at least plus-plus raw at maturity if he doesn't already. And is athletic enough to play third base. And even if that guy's a 40 bat, he's probably a big league regular. He's probably Austin Riley or whatever. Um, So, yeah, love the Brady House pick at 11, assuming they can get a deal done. And then Daylon Lyle, they've done this the last couple years too. Who is the kid from? They've taken a lot of guys like this. This is like a, this is like the, the this is a bat bet.
1: Like they, it, it's yep. an interesting thing to go on. Like this kid can really hit, um, but he's not like super physical. He's not a big runner. He doesn't throw well. So can't, you're kind of hoping that the bat really comes because it's not
0: going to play up the middle. Right. Yeah. Dalen Lyle, the high schooler from Kentucky outfielder, left, right stick. Um, Brandon Bossieri, the third rounder. Obviously, you've you know, seen him
1: a lot. Like, what, like it, it, that felt, it felt like he was probably more of a fourth or fifth, And but what do you think of him?
0: I think it was interesting to talk to all the area scouts about how they stacked talent coming out of U of A this year because there were the scouts who were just still on Ryan Holgate the most because he has the most power of that group. And then you have Bossieri, who's like the most well-rounded and who performed the best. And then you have like Kobe Kato who, uh, you know, was up the middle with high end contact. And so some of the analytics teams were more interested in him as a sleeper than any of these corner guys. And so, yeah, like bossieri it's another one where uh, it's likely to be a platoon guy who maybe moves quickly, but the ceiling is not very high. Uh, so it's just like, Bigger half of the platoon type corner outfielder if things work out, but that's good in the third round if you get a guy like that. Like that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, th- yeah, it was
1: it was it was kind of safety from there. They took Dustin Signs in the fourth, oh. who's kind of a five eleven slider machine. You uh, need to
0: see video of T J White. Yeah, <laughs> find video of T J White right now. Like there's just a highlight reel somewhere on YouTube. T J White, the fifth rounder from Dorman High School in South Carolina. This is this dude is a monster switch hitter with huge power he's he's awesome this guy is so exciting there's almost surely hit tool risk here just because most of the high schoolers who we've heard of what we will have heard of because they did a lot of stuff on the showcase circuit against a higher concentration of Pitching talent. And so this is a guy who I don't know a lot about coming into this process, but I just saw the highlight video and I'm in. (laughs) You're in. I'm in. Like his mom probably posted it or something and I don't care. Like this is a really physical kid. With huge power, and he's a switch hitter. Like, I am really excited to see if this guy can do anything with the bat because he, this guy is really interesting to me. So, I'm really excited to see how this fifth round of uh, TJ White pans out for Washington. Send him to the complex league right now. I want to see what it looks like. Um, Let's and it, go.
1: And it should be noted in the 10th round, they took Darren Baker, Dusty's. Fine, right. fine relative. Yeah, uh, Second like base medical, Like, a
0: baseball athlete, good baseball player, not super toolsy. And I like Will Frizzell in the eighth round. He just is monster raw. Like, let's see what happens. He's not as sure a bet as like Cavadas just because the performance tracker is not quite as pristine. But yeah, yeah. Will Frizzell in the eighth round, another dude with monster juice. Um, let's move to the Miami Marlins. This uh,
1: could not have gone any better for them. Um, yeah, the, the, the biggest story as far as falls go in the first round was that of Khalil Watson. Um, once he was kind of out of the first six picks or so, uh, he told teams it was going to be 5 million or he was going to go to school. Um, I believe NC state commitment. And, uh, it, it, he started to slip and slip and slip. I know most teams in the 11th to 15th round were looked very closely to him. And I think the giants, almost, you know, the giants kind of had a deal with him. I think fell apart the last minute and they, and they, they downshifted to someone else. They, they went to Bednar, but, um, this might be the best all-around tools package, and to get it at sixteen is is quite a steal. And then at nineteen, or rather at thirty-one, they got Joe Mack, who um, was seen by many people as a late first-round talent. So they got two guys who, you know, I think going you know an hour before the draft, we both would have said had no chance of being there for him.
0: Yeah, this is why I think the draft feels really good is because Watson fell where he did, and yet it doesn't feel like they mortgaged their draft to sign him and only him in in a substantial way. They definitely did a little bit. He's got to be overslot to some extent. But, yeah, it was interesting sitting there on the phone with you. We're texting people with teams, trying to assess who's about to go, and the Giants are on the board, and we start to hear that Watson is about to go, Yeah, and then that disintegrates. And, yeah, I'm really curious to know what – sequence of events occurred that led to like what was happening under the surface of the water there as that was, as we were hearing those things. But yeah, Watson at 16, Mac at 31, uh, close to, or, uh, maybe, you know, below a little bit where he was likely to go. Cody Morissette, the Boston college middle infielder who got off to a slow start, but again, big 2020 season, big 2020 fall came out of the gates, really ice cold in 2021 and then fell, before rebounding a little bit, but if you look at the broader uh, performance, it is pretty good. He went fifty-two, and we heard he, he was, he was like, like, and we heard him in, a, in some late first-round mixes going into right. the draft. Yep, and at the very least, was going to be in the mix for those teams picking in the middle of the second round, just for slot. Jordan McCants in the third round, a projectable shortstop from Florida, has you know some baby giraffe vibe <laughs> because he's just <laughs> a really big, long kid who needs to grow into his body, but. He's another exciting upside guy who the Marlins have now. And then Tanner Allen, senior from Mississippi State in the fourth round, who I dig. He's another one where it's like. Yeah, I mean, if court- you wa-
1: if you watch the college postseason, you- Tanner Allen was, was the straw that stirred the drink for the champions. Right.
0: Yep. He's, again, bad approach, a little too free swinger-ish for most teams, but the Marlins aren't one of those teams. And he can hit. Like, he can and he hit. Hits. And,
1: you know, we went where he went because he's 23 years old and. Um, I think this is his third time getting drafted and, and, you know, this is, you can hit and, and, and obviously brings a lot of energy to them. They did do something interesting in the 11th where they took a a college guy who I think threw out a bigger price tag and Jesse Bergen from UCLA, who was, you know, expected to be, you know, probably somewhere in in the fourth or fifth. Um, and he's a guy who uh, did not live up to expectations this spring either.
0: Yeah, saw him uh, thrown a little bit harder than I would have guessed. He was up to ninety-five against ASU, but um, but it didn't really play great. Uh, right, I, I don't know. I, you know, Jesse Bergen to me is like maybe he's a high probability forty-man guy who's who's a depth arm. Um, but, but the other guys on day three who I liked were like Chandler Jozwiak from Texas A&M, and maybe I'm not even pronouncing that right because it's been a while since I've heard anybody say it. But <laughs> he's just a lefty with plus slider command, and he dominated college baseball doing just that. Um, I think he's got a chance if he can throw harder. And then Ivan Melendez in the sixth round, who we like because he is super-duper physical and strong in a way that stands apart even from pro baseball players. I mean,
1: let's stick to super-duper physical and strong. This guy who I'm sure you saw in, in the 17th round they took – um, you know Justin Fall, and if I said to you, you know, there's a six-six lefty at a Pack twelve school who's yeah. up to who's you know up to the mid nineties, you'd go, oh, this guy's gonna be in early traffic. But he never kind of really performed, right?
0: Right, and I don't think it's quite this extreme, but this is like a phrase that will be tossed around the industry pretty cavalierly is that the Marlins care a little bit less about makeup, and Justin Fall. Uh I don't, you know, it's one of those where, like, this, the area scouts notice, hey, uh, this guy left his start, he did okay, and no one is greeting him at the top of the dugout. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> like, what's up with that type thing? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there, but the, the area scouts are, like, sensitive to something happening there. Right, right. Um, so that's the Eastern Divisions.
1: We'll come back. We'll talk about the Central's. Uh, you'll listen to more of Izzy True who was our musical guest for the regular quote unquote edition of the podcast so stick around we'll be right back podcast we roll on to the central divisions we begin in the american league with the chicago white Sox. you know the white Sox. um i believe the first time we heard that the white Sox had interest in colson montgomery was in the clinton administration and um ultimately they got their guy but it's, it's interesting we talked about the braves getting the two guys we thought you know were attached to them in the first round um we heard them attached to a lot of the high school infielders including wes kath um kath's another guy who uh, did throw out a bigger number. It's going to be way more than the slot that, that they took them at. But to get Westcath at 57, I imagine, is something they're pretty thrilled with. And, and you know, like the Braves, they got both the guys they were really interested in the first round with their first and second pick.
0: Yeah, we talk about some teams playing things close to the vest during the draft process. The White Sox played with their cards facing out <laughs> during this draft process based <laughs> on, like, their first two picks here it was not shocking that they took Colson Montgomery and Westcath in rounds one and two. Uh, They've been rumored to be on both of those guys for quite a long time. They're both very projectable, left-handed hitting infielders. Colson Montgomery is like an unbelievable athlete, a guy who could have played Big Ten basketball. And Westcath is that old-school style, no batting gloves. Just love the way his hands roll over. He's got a really pretty-looking swing. He's a graceful but not explosive like, infield defender, maybe. He can do, like, do the fundamental things at shortstop, but is probably more of, like, second, third base type of guy. Yeah. Uh, but even, you know, it's it's a favorable profile for both of them, except Colson Montgomery is pretty old for the class. But he's a cold-weather guy, too, so, you know, don't freak out if he enters pro ball and there's a little bit of a swing-and-miss adjustment period. Uh, and then in rounds three and four, Sean Burke and Brooks Goswine are two relief prospects. Burke is another like amazing athlete with a basketball background, 6'6", 230. He has a pretty short track record of performance, just with a body like that, like growth spurt and uh, like strength gains are pretty recent for him, actually. Uh, they're both relief prospects, though. Goswine is pretty raw. He's just a lefty with velo and a breaking ball who had good private workouts for teams. Uh, and then former All-Star Mike McDougall, his kid, Tanner McDougal, High score from Nevada is, again, 6'5", 185 projection bet with low 90s velocity right now. You're hoping that as he matures, there's more of that there. Uh, And then I guess the guy that I point to to watch in this draft as well is Gil Luna in the ninth round just because. Yeah, I talked about him. He's fun. Yeah, like uh, this is the org that drafted Avery Weems, right? So the area scout has picked a pitching sleeper here and there. Uh, and you know, Avery Weems was a, was a pick late on day two who they polished up a little bit and then flipped as part of the Lance Lynn deal within like a year and a half of drafting Weems. So, you know, like let's watch Gil Luna with the same amount of developmental curiosity now.
1: Yeah. Just a little five ten lefty who like stuff's not going to light you up at all, but you know what? He gets dudes out, especially left-hand hitters and there's funk and deception and, and, and craftsmanship there. Uh, Burke's interesting. Like you said, huge dude, 6'6", kind of low to mid-90s, but, you know, the velo's not crazy, but it checks a lot of data boxes in terms of movement and and spin and shape and things like that. Yep. So, you know, to, to do what they did, you know, Westcath, like we said, has a big number out there, um, that 6 to 10 range, including Luna, who, you know, I think just signed for 10 grand, like those are all money savers to help pay for what they did in the first five rounds. So it was, you know, they they did what they did in the first five and then kind of. You don't want to say punted, but they, they went money saver the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that most of these guys get done here soon. I'm, I'm going to go to the Northeast and then come back to Arizona for uh, you know most of August, but I've got two more amateur trips to do in August for 2022s. And like the White Sox roster here in the AZL is a high, high priority now that those top two draft high schoolers are going to be here.
1: Uh, Moving on to the Cleveland Indians, a very Indians-esque draft. They spent 10 of their first 11 picks on college arms, um, including their first three. All all big names, all people, you know, names people know, even kind of casual dudes. Uh, Gavin Williams, um, the huge guy out of East Carolina, huge physically, 6'6", 240. Um, Big, big stuff. We'll see if he can develop a changeup as he goes. Uh, But it feels like a starter package. Uh, he moved up on boards after he shoved against Vanderbilt in the postseason. Uh, Doug Nikhazy, kind of a a lefty who performed very well in the SEC. And then Tommy Mace, who's been known forever. It's not crazy stuff, but consistent success at Florida really, really means something. And, and you know, these Mace is kind of like probably your highest floor of these guys and, and probably your lowest ceiling. Uh, the only high school player they took was Jake Fox, a, a high school shortstop from Florida. But after that, it was, it was college pitcher city.
0: Yep, Um, and this is just a very typical Cleveland draft. It's a lot of guys who don't throw hard but have underlying traits and like a plus secondary pitch or two that runs through the whole draft class for the most part. Uh, Nikhazy you mentioned, Tanner Bibby in the fifth round out of Fullerton is like that, Rodney Boone in the eighth round out of UC Santa Barbara is like that, Uh, and then the lone high school guy is also a Cleveland-esque shortstop where it's, Feel for contact is is the carrying tool, and that's almost always what they do. Uh, they're taking these hit tool high schoolers. They have been tracking data on swing and miss data. Uh, Fox is a lefty stick who is short to the ball. He's okay defensively. Probably not a shortstop. Maybe more of like a passable second base type guy than a than a shortstop. But they'll send him here to Arizona, and they've had mixed success with with guys like this. They yeah. have either taken the very toolsy. There's still 17 on draft day types like Quinton Holmes, or they end up with like the vanilla hit tool-oriented guys like Milan Tolentino from last year, uh, Joe Narano from a couple years ago they gave a million bucks to. And every once in a while you get a Tyler Freeman or a Jake Bowers or someone who has some some quick big league utility. So that's the type of player Jake Fox is too.
1: And and they're busy in Florida. Even after Mace, they took Jack Lefwich, who's uh, you know, we talked about players like this before, Jack Leftwich coming out of high school. Um, had a big price tag where he was going to Florida. Uh, scouts really liked him, but not as much as his price tag. And, and he went to Florida, uh, and his stock just kind of steadied and never really, he never really developed into, you know, there was some command issues, um, third pitch issues things like that. And he's going to the seventh round where he'll sign for somewhere around one fifty, two hundred. 200. And they also took, uh, the uh, Frank Olliman from, from Florida. So they were busy. Uh, their, their, their Florida scouts were busy in Gainesville this year. Yep. Um, who is that? Who is the next team in the standings? It is. That's not right. It is the Detroit Tigers. Uh, let's talk about what they did at three, because, you know, we, we discussed this a little bit when we started this whole exercise with Boston and, and Marcelo Meyer dropping to four. Um, you know, we wrote, I think, in every mock we did that the Tigers seemed to be folk. They had Meyer number one on their board and joke number two. Um, it's felt like, you know, they didn't expect Meyer to be there. It was coming down to Job and then House, um, and they already were negotiating with Job on some sort of deal. I think it's a minor haircut. Um, and then Meyer fell into their lap and they still went with Job.
0: Yeah. Um I don't I mean, we we've talked about it. If they had a handshake agreement in place with the kid and even though Marcelo Meyer was there, they honored that agreement, then good for the Tigers. It is yep. not like uh I, I understand the Tigers fans might be frustrated by this, but like, that's a, that's a good move. Like, that's a good ethical thing to do, in my opinion. And they were sort of cosmically rewarded for it because Ty Madden fell into their laps at, at 32. So, I, I you know, on balance, like, I thought that their draft was basically as good as you could have expected it to have been. Um, if they take Marcelo Meyer at three and go back on their agreement with Job, they've burned an agent, basically, and will feel repercussions from that for, you know, who, depending on how vitriolic the agent is, you know, could last for a while. Uh, And they wouldn't have had the space to likely do Madden, who I assume will be a little bit over uh, at pick 32. Uh, Maybe they don't get Isaac Pacheco, the power hitting lefty infielder from Texas at pick 39, like another high schooler who probably had a pretty substantial price tag. And yeah, I thought their draft overall was fine. They'll have Five guys go on the pro side of the board here as soon as they get done building the uh, the tables for it. Tyler Madison out of Bryant in the fourth round, I think, is is kind of an interesting uh, relief prospect. The type of guy who the Tigers have a short track record here of, of I think, developing pitchers better than people give them credit for. I think on the pitching dev side, they're actually kind of progressive. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Tyler Madison from Bryant's got... Big-time arm strength, you know, flat, plane and carry on his fastball. He's been up to 100, just about refining some of the other stuff. And uh, Detroit's been able to do that recently with some of the the college relievers they've picked. So I thought they had a solid draft.
1: I thought they had a good draft. And, I, you know, I, I'm the high guy in Ty Matt, and everyone knows that I think, at this point. And I know there are pitch data issues. I think it's a steal at 32, even if you want to drop them a, you know, somewhat off the, the pitch data stuff. I think to get this kind of talent at 32 is – frankly highway robbery one guy to watch that i want to point out is their fifth round pick tanner kohlhepp out of notre dame who's a relief prospect um talked a little bit about my last amateur tr- trip and and um a teammate at iowa western of the yankees fourth round pick second baseman was tanner kohlhepp who came out of the pen was not on my list of players to see but you know you go to a game and a guy comes in you hold a gun up for a little bit right yep um this kid's really interesting um he's probably nothing's fifth round pick he's pure reliever there's command issues it's a it's a weird delivery he spins the hell out of it it was a two seamer up to 2600 rpm
0: wow it was okay. so
1: weird like i had a, you know I had, a, I had a gun that that did measure spin rate and, and like i was like okay that's an error and then he did it again and they did it again and um he has really interesting pitch data, whether it all comes together or not. I don't know, but you have know, to grab that in the fifth round. It's a nice piece of clay to hand to your player development staff. Uh, keep an eye on that sleeper because I, I turned him in. I was like, I've turned this dude in. This is interesting. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I like that. I, I, I like what the Tigers did. I, I think they had a good draft. Um, you know, they they it was pitcher heavy. But if you remember in the, in the you know, greatly abbreviated 2020 draft, they did not select a pitcher. Um, they went all position players. So they kind of made up for things a little bit there. Um, let's go on to the twins. Uh, twins took the, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but the, the polarizing Chase Petty. There are teams that thought he was a, a, a mid to late first round talent. And there are teams that probably wouldn't have touched him until the second. Um, the stuff's really, really good. Uh, the delivering command is really, really questionable. Um, the whole thing feels like best possible thing is, is, is a closer level, high leverage reliever with that kind of stuff. But, um, development wise, I think this might take a while.
0: Uh, I think that he'll move fast, but I don't know what the role is going to be. I think maybe I'm crossing wires in my brain here somewhere along the way, though. I think someone with Minnesota mentioned to me they thought Petty was athletic enough to augment his delivery in a way that would like Mm. quell some of my overt concerns about high schoolers who are already kind of maxed out and throw with this level of violence. It was interesting during the pre-draft process to have people tell me where they thought this guy would go. It's all like, the board. Yeah, because he checks a lot of the traditional scouting boxes because he's really well built. He's super athletic. He throws really hard. His slider is visually explosive. And I also think that scouts – because it's just easier visually to see horizontal movement on a fastball – and so eyeball scouts tend to overrate those types of fastballs, whereas like the vertically oriented ones, it's just harder to see that movement from where you're sitting up elevated in the scout seats. You know, like anyway, some teams were like, it's a traditional scouting team that's going to take this guy. And others were like, no, it's going to be a pitch data team. And Minnesota is a pitch data team. And so, yeah. here's, so here's Chase Petty. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can augment his delivery a little bit. He is really athletic. Uh, but then the rest of their guys, their draft otherwise kind of mimics – Cleveland's, where Noah Miller, their comp pick, is a hit tool-oriented high schooler who can maybe play a passable infield spot, but definitely the carrying trait is the bat. The
1: bat, yeah. He's, second, he's probably a second baseman. Um, switch hitter, better from the right side. He is Owen's brother and, and kind of a smaller version. Um, it's not the most physical kid. I'm not crazy about that kid. I, I saw him a couple times in person. I was just like, yeah, I get it. He's kind of good, but I don't know. Tools didn't let you up.
0: And then the rest of their... Group there again, there's a smattering of these guys who don't throw hard right now but have carrying traits. Otherwise, Stephen Hadger, the second rounder from Michigan, uh, Christian McLeod, Mississippi State, in the fifth round. We're talking about lefties with fastball carry and breaking ball shape who don't throw very hard. Yeah, like, so again, like you can see that this is a spin off front office from Cleveland, they're behaving in a similar fashion. Uh, the sleepers here, I don't know, Christian and on Strand, and he's foreground. one for me.
1: Yeah, the scouts don't like him at all. He's kind of a bulky, plotting guy, tools-wise. Uh, and it's not a a attractive swing to the eye, but this dude's hit everywhere. He's good hit in high school, hit in JUCO. Like, had a huge year at Oklahoma State. I think it was like an 1,100 OPS. This guy's always hit.
0: Yep. Uh, and then... Noah Cardanius in the eighth round, that's a guy who's got a shot to be on a 40-man as a catcher just because he can really play defense back there.
1: Yeah, I wrote about him. It might be big league-ready defense. It's just, you know, it's probably – it's a three-bat.
0: And then Pat Winkle from Connecticut, another catcher who, you know, is just an area code guy from four years ago who I dug. Who I was like, ooh, it's a catcher with some feel for contact, so I'll stay on this guy until, you know, one of us dies. <laughs> um let's go on to the
1: royals the royals had the first what moment in the first round uh we're in the seventh with the seventh overall pick they took uh Connecticut prep lefty Frank Mazzucato who most people saw as more of a late first round pick and then it was like well what are they doing here um obviously they're going to haircut that and do something later on um and then later on honestly was a little confusing
0: for me as well I liked the later on. I thought that they got five, six players of real interest who, you know, if I saw them on the backfields, I'd be in on to some extent. Uh, Like, I do think Frank Mazzicato on talent in a vacuum just belongs in the back third of the first round, probably. It's, again, like super athletic lefty, breaking ball, fastball carry. He's like what Blake Walston was of the D-backs a couple years ago. Uh, maybe even a little bit more traditional from like a, a delivery standpoint than Wallston. And then I this is where I think that the savings would have maybe been better allocated to somebody else. But I at least like the principle of drafting Ben Kuderna in the second round. And that is how you pronounce it. Um, but
1: I'm glad you know. But he's going to cost $3 million. That's not $3 million talent.
0: I agree with you. I, I like him as a player. I just think that that's an awful lot for that guy. Like, I just think that some of the Carson Williams-type talents who go in the back of the first round and sign for slot are on par with or maybe a little bit better than this guy. Uh, and that, yeah, like, if I'm going to blow it out now in the second round to sign somebody for $3 bucks, that there are probably other guys on the like, – like, would Will Taylor have turned down $3 bucks? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So – so maybe there's that, but then yeah, there's depth here. Peyton Wilson, you don't like Peyton Wilson either, but it's switch hitting <laughs> up the middle player. It's just a guy, heuristically, who I like. Switch hitting, short levered, really athletic, plays up the middle, uh, although not especially well. Justin Choi wrote about him in his physical sleepers uh, section of our pre-draft content run-up because this guy hits the ball without spin. Like this, there's some hitters are prone to like top spinning the ball. That reduces their fly ball distance. Uh, and Peyton Wilson doesn't do that. Like he squares it. So, uh, and then Carter Jensen, lefty hitting athletic catcher, Shane Panzini, and Eric Sarantola have good stuff.
1: We got to talk about Eric Sarantola for a second. Yeah. Um, so, Eric Sarantola from Mississippi State, uh, kid from Canada, originally a large frame guy, he's about 6'5, 230. He is. Uh, was so not good for Mississippi State. They actually left him off their their postseason roster. That said, he was up to 100 miles an hour this spring. He has a curveball that is kind of 85 to 88 with well over 3,000 RPM. This guy checks every pitch data box in the world. It might be the best pure pitch data in the draft, but he's always been hurt and he's never performed.
0: Yep. uh, Coming out of last fall, Mississippi State's, Three headed monster in the rotation was going to be Bednar, Christian McLeod, and this guy. And by far and away, this is the best stuff. Everyone unanimously agreed upon that coming out of last fall. And then Bednar is the one who went out and shoved consistently. McLeod, his performance was more mixed. And as you said, Cherentola's was so bad that he was left off the postseason roster and entered the transfer portal. So, uh, I don't know if this is is this the org to 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 do it. I don't I don't know. Uh things with Josh Stalmont have worked out fine, I guess. This is mm-hmm. basically the same type of guy in college was Josh Stalmont, uh, where there was gigantic, gigantic stuff and really mixed performance at best, and he's turned into an inconsistent but at times unbelievably vicious reliever. So uh yeah, it's gonna be fascinating. I just like that they got a lot of interesting players yeah it'll be fun to fun to watch this one yeah yeah even Dayton Dooney in the sixth round and again it's like he got pushed out of U of A just because of the depth of the bats at U of A he went to Central Arizona it's a switching infielder who performed Uh, in the sixth round I I dig I dig taking a flyer on a guy like that
1: um let's move to the National League Central we'll begin with the Milwaukee Brewers um it's called a safe draft um a lot of a lot of college you know they ended up passing on Watson, and, and he fell one below them, and they went with kind of, you know, a far safer guy than the other big college outfielder who had some some action above him, um, in in Boston College, Sal Freelick. um, not a big dude, he's five nine, uh, but plus run, he proved to scouts that he can really play center field this year, um, and great approach, a lot of contact and sneaky pop.
0: Yep, um, the way that some of his skeptics put it to me. Is hey, is there an everyday center fielder in the big leagues who doesn't hit at least 20 bombs? And I think that's that's fair and that's true. Uh, but I just think that there's a chance that this guy who came to baseball late and is from like cold weather location and missed the whole season due to COVID. Like, what if this guy just ends up being a seven bat? You know, I think mm. that's in play. Um, and then Tyler Black, it's the same thing. It's this is And like, another team, like we talked about the White Sox, and the Braves. This is another
1: team where we heard Ty Black connected to them at fifteen. Right. Um, And and so they got both the guys that they were thinking about in the first round.
0: Yep. Uh, And then I thought that they were able to spread some savings in round two. uh, Around later, Russell Smith, who they took in the second round at a TCU, is a senior. And this is a thing that Milwaukee does a lot of. It's, It's drafting and signing guys who create a unique angle. On their fastball uh, Or just have a unique release point of some stripe And that's Russell Smith, he's 6'9 yep. And he's got a funky delivery And his fastball just kind of comes out of the sky And is really hard And it's just a really difficult angle For hitters to do anything with
1: Um, You know, we, we, we They took Alex Spinellis in the third Who you know had dreams of being a first round pick going into the spring Had a rough, rough, rough year at Louisville uh, But you know, has some pop Probably a first base only They had one of the more interesting day threes uh, where they took Rock Reggio in the 11th round. Uh, Reggio threw out a big price tag. It seems more of a third or fourth round talent. Uh, Rock Reggio, I would best call an Eric kind of guy. A uh, little athletic high school guy who can play some infield and uh, definitely knows how to hit.
0: Yeah, uh, Reggio, Caden Vire, a lefty arm from Washington. Quentin Lowe, a high school pitcher from Colorado and Jace Avena, high schooler from Nevada. Uh, that's that's what Milwaukee did rounds 11 through 14. They did three high schoolers at a time when a lot of teams are just kind of not punting, but they're just taking... Guys they can sign. College or guys, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I know that, like, Vire, or excuse me, um, Lowe is one where some of the other area scouts, like, didn't turn him in. So I'm going to assume that there's something pitch data related going on there as well, which is just sort of Milwaukee style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they took a lot of college performers in the first 10 rounds and then ended up with uh, four high schoolers to start off. Day yeah, three. And they also
1: took a chance on Will Rogers um, in the 17th. It was a pretty strong commitment either to Arizona or Arizona state. I can't remember which, but um, athletic catcher probably doubt he'll sign there, but we would be remiss not to talk about their last pick of the day uh, of day three oh, it was yeah. Samuel, Samuel Mendez. A right-hander from Cisco Junior College in Texas, he is six foot seven and 185 pounds, and he is 28 years old. Uh, and I said I, I tweeted, I think that's probably a record. Our good friend Corey Schwartz then said it is probably a record. They don't have date of births for every draft pick going back to '65, but but for every date of birth that they do have, he is the oldest draftee. Um, he is of of Dominican heritage and spent a lot of time trying to create a basketball career. It didn't work out. Uh, And then he went to this JUCO in Texas And was 95 to 97 So fun dude to watch Um, 28-year-old Samuel Mendez In the the 20th round Easily my favorite 20th round pick Um, Cincinnati Reds Interesting I know there's a lot of talk about What are the Reds going to do You know, they have three picks on day one They picked 17, 30, 35 Uh, If you add all of that money up uh, it's around eight million dollars in pool money. Uh, a lot of people thought they'd make a splash at 17. At the end of the day, you know, Matt McLean, who most people thought would go kind of in the 10 to 15 range, falls to them and just kind of became too good a talent to pass up. Um, I bet he gets a little over slot on that one, and then they kinda of put a little pool money into that 30 pick with Jay Allen a a big physical high school outfielder who threw out first round money uh, as a demand before the draft began
0: yeah they their third and fourth picks which were in the comp a and second round were players who could have been picked last year and didn't go um, right it does feel like jay allen was likely to be at least a little bit over but i think so there's not really anything else going on through the rest of their draft that Feels like the Matthew Nelson savings and Andrew Abbott savings and then Ruben Ibarra, who they took in the fourth round was a senior, Uh, 290 pounds, 6'5 guy from San Jose State who takes daddy hacks for a dude who's that big. Like he's pretty athletic for being almost 300 pounds. Um, You know, I thought that almost everyone in this draft has had a weird career trajectory of some kind. For sure. You're right. Matt McLean didn't sign out of high school. Matthew Nelson was passed over as a junior. Andrew Abbott was passed over as a junior in 2020. Jose Torres didn't sign coming out of high school because he was 19 on draft day and swung and missed a bunch and was going to be a draft-eligible sophomore, then didn't have a freshman season, really, because of COVID. Uh, Justice Thompson was a junior college transfer who crushed pre-conference play with North Carolina and then came back to earth uh, against ACC guys. Kevin Abel in the seventh round, has had a TJ and missed a couple could, of years because he already read a Rehabil. book about his career. Yeah. Kevin Abel was like, he's one of the most prominent. He's like the Madison Bumgarner of the college world series. <laughs> where he just put Oregon <laughs> state on his back and won them a college world series at the expense of his own career because he was running to the ground and, and blew out. And like, it's just fascinating that almost everybody, all these high profile names with the, uh, the Reds draft have had some sort of weird momentous thing happen during their uh, amateur career.
1: Yeah, Nelson will be interesting to watch. You know, like you said, he was not drafted last year, nor did was he even considered really. He was wasn't didn't play much. And um came out, became was Florida State's starting catcher this year and had a huge year offensively, but you know, twenty two years old. Um and, and I'm sure a money saver there, but good for him for working his way into that that level of pick, uh, you know, seemingly out of nowhere in a lot of
0: ways. The track record for these guys the last couple years is Mixed, right? Like Brent Rooker mm-hmm. got to the upper levels, striking out a lot. Maybe he has some big league utility, yeah. but he's not. I mean, Andrew and then, Andrew Andrew Benetendi was a bit of an out of nowhere as a junior, right? He would have been a draft eligible sophomore, right? Right. Um, and then uh, Cody Hosey. how's he? How's Cody Hosey doing? Uh, he's doing okay. He's another one where I was just like, really, this guy's twenty three. Yeah, he's not doing well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's probably hurt again, though. He's only played in thirty games. He's been hurt a bunch.
1: Um. Let's talk about the Cubs, the Cubs, uh, the 21st pick. We heard all, all sorts of players, the actually. It was, they were very hard to kind of wrap your head around. We heard players you know, from every sort of player quadrant, if you will. Um, at the end of the day, uh, a guy who a lot of people thought might go in the late teens, uh kansas state left hander jordan wicks i think it's a good pick at 21 he should be pretty happy um in the second they took james triantos who was starting to get some late first round buzz and and and, and comp round buzz to get him at 56 i think they got to be pretty happy with that um so overall I, I think you know they have to be happy with the top and, and then you know played it safe very college oriented from there
0: yeah i dig drew gray the third round pick high school uh, arm yeah uh again it's just like Projectable lefty with a breaking ball, some underlying traits. Uh, I'm into that, especially because he'll be playing summer ball five miles from my house. Uh, Liam Spence in the fifth round. He's older. He's 23. He's from Australia. He went to junior college ball over here before going to Tennessee. I don't know him out of him. Parker Chavers, who has had a, a lot of profile as a, an underclassman and then Torres Labrum. They got him in the seventh round out of Coastal Carolina. Casey Opitz in the eighth round can really play uh, defense behind the plate.
1: Yeah, eighty makeup guy too.
0: Frankie Scalzo in the fourteenth round from Grand Canyons. He was reaching back for ninety six, ninety seven in the Whack tournament. Like one of these guys is gonna is gonna turn into something. Uh, so, oh, and then they got Daniel Avidia in the nineteenth round. I, I imagine they won't sign Daniel Avidia in the nineteenth round, but um,
1: that's, that's a that's a safety pick.
0: Avidia is a high school pitcher from Arizona. He's just okay. But he's one of these young guys with huge stones who just pitched his butt off during the state final playoffs here in Arizona and really impressed everybody who saw it just because he like he shoved he, his stuff is just OK. He's got a good change up, um, and, but he's athletic. He's kind of projectable and the scouts just love the kid uh, from Central Phoenix. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think that the Cubs draft was it was fine. I kind of I, I keep
1: an eye on I think I it's a, it's a he's a problematic prospect as far as you know his style of play, but I think to get this in the fourth round, I think Christian Franklin in the fourth round is a really good pick to get him yep. there. Um, you know very athletic college outfielder. It's not insanely loud tools, but everything's like it's plus it's plus raw, it's a plus run. He's a real center fielder. Um, he just strikes out a lot. Um, good idea at the plate, gets himself it it, it can can uh, fluctuate between patient and passive at times, getting himself into really bad counts. Um, and you combine that with swing and miss, and there's the, where the problem lies. But there's tools here for sure.
0: Yeah. It's, you f- figure, hey, this is a workman-like player. He plays up the middle. You mentioned the strikeout stuff. And then every once in a while, he puts a ball out to right center, and you're like, damn. like Yeah. Uh, Christian Franklin can do some things. I you know, We're lukewarm on him, I think, in general. If he t- turned into a Guillermo Heredia-style fifth outfielder yeah, type guy. I, like it wouldn't and, shock you. And that's good. In the yeah, fourth There's tools, round, tools that's here. Fun. Yeah, there's tools
1: here. I, I I think it's an interesting guy. A
0: role um,
1: let's move on to the St. Louis Cardinals, um, who at 18... Uh, hey, boy, I don't want to be an asshole. I think they reached a little bit um, and went for Michael McGreevy, uh, the big right-hander out of UC Santa Barbara. But, but the Cardinals have a thing for two seam dudes now.
0: Yeah. Uh, Matthew Libertor, who they traded for. Uh, Zach Thompson, who they drafted. And now Michael McGreevy are all like sinker action type of guys. Uh, You know, other teams were on McGreevy in this range. My in-person look at McGreevy this year was not great. You got a
1: bad one. Uh,
0: He was only living in the low 90s. It's got that sinker action. So it's going to get, it's going to find barrels basically, unless, you know, he's got really fine command. The the chances are that he has plus command uh, because he's really athletic. He's really young for this class. I think uh, his his slider is, is pretty good. He has some changeup feel. His curveball, he changes his arm slot entirely. I don't think that's a playable pitch at all against big league hitters. Who are just going to know what it is coming out of his hand because it looks so different. Um, but yeah, I think that he's probably a money saver, which is part of why Joshua Baez went to them in the second round. Uh, Massachusetts think, high school.
1: They had to be thrilled to have him on the board at 54. Um, Josh Baez was another guy. When you talked about all those teams in the 20s, who were looking at the high school bats by his name came up a lot. And I was really surprised to see him still there for
0: him. Yep. Totally agree. And it's in that Jordan Walker area where the body mm-hmm. and the power are in that place. And he's young for the class for a guy to have this type of measurable power at his age is really rare. So yeah. There's swing and miss risk here, but, but was there is with any new England high schooler for sure. But he's a huge power. He's, he's,
1: uh, it's true. A lot of triple digit exit velocities, which is very impressive for a player this young. Um, there's a question for kind of how big he's going to get. Like he's six four, two twenty five right now. Yep. Um, he's going to be a big, big, large human. Um, they took Ryan Holgate in in the with their comp B pick because you know the Cardinals are this tiny market team who needs comp picks. Um, you uh, Ryan Holgate, obviously, you know it's an Arizona player went to Arizona, uh, left hand hitting outfielder. I'm sure you've seen him quite a bit. What do you got?
0: Yeah, it's big power. It's definitely one of those guys who the ball sounds different off of the bat in a in a visceral way. Uh, There are a lot of big time statistical performers at U of a, because the hitting environment in Tucson is very favorable. uh, And this guy stands apart because of how much juice there is. Mm -hmm. Again, it's like Bossieri. If he turns into a larger half of a platoon bat, in the next couple of years, like that's a good outcome here in mm-hmm. comp round B before the third round, uh, and then the other four corners guy they got is Alec Willis in the seventh round, who's going to be a cool million. Uh, you know, standard high school arm, ninety ninety four with a breaking ball and frame. Uh, Mike Antico in the eighth round is a senior who I dig. Uh, was at St. John's for four years, just a physical 70 runner who kind of carried that Texas offense as as the catalyst at the top of their order all year. And right. which was just a deep, good college team that he spearheaded the, the offense for. I, I thought that was a good senior sign in the eighth. Uh,
1: I do want to talk about just because I, I, I have uh, some familiarity with them, their 11th round pick Mac Chambers, a shortstop out of yeah. New Mexico uh mac was a player who uh, a lot of interest from the astros area scout jim Stevenson, who's the king of of the oklahoma juco scene um and he had he, he had a crazy year there and, and ended up transferring and, and he the cubs took him in like the 11th round i think a couple of years ago and couldn't sign he went to new mexico had another really good year at like 380s so like 600 um, i know it's new mexico but still um tooled kid like like this kind of little little firecracker of a kid uh, you know little, bit of an nfl build if you will um, but guy to keep an eye on. I, he was he was he was really interesting, and he went where he belonged. But but still, yeah, um, a, a pretty interesting kid who I just remember and you know, having seen it at a, at a private workout and things like that as standing out a bit.
0: Yep, I saw him first week of the year that four team tournament in Surprise with Kansas State, and totally agree. He stood out. Just you look at the kid in the uniform and see the twitch, and he's really athletic. Throwing yeah, kind a, over to first base, kind, is of, an, is kind of weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an NFL running back build. Like he's he's. Yep and muscular um Pittsburgh Pirates you know the Pirates fans have been suffering for a very very long time um Pirates fans were immediately frustrated on Twitter um following the first pick when they did not take the best play in the draft and in 10 took Henry Davis and if you were a smart draft follower you then said well they've saved a little money with Davis let's see what they do with the rest of their picks and we don't get to do this a lot for the Pittsburgh Pirates but here we go Pittsburgh, you crushed it. Congratulations. Um, Pittsburgh, with their first four picks, got four first-round talents. That's a very, very difficult thing to to, to do. Uh, It's a difficult thing to pull off. They did it. Um, Henry Davis uh, has been talked about a lot. I don't know if we need to go in too much. The dude can really mash. The dude has an outstanding, outstanding approach. He has very, very big power. He might not catch. If he's a first baseman, he will be a plus offensive performer there and a middle-of-the-order bat. Um, but we go from there. You know, Anthony Solomedo at 37 was a guy who we heard as high as 21 to the Cubs, I think is the, the highest we ever heard him. Yeah. Um, Lonnie White Jr., was they got at 64, uh, threw out a price tag, which the Pirates are going to be able to pay, obviously. But another guy we heard is a late first-round pick. And then Bubba Chandler. Uh, that the two sports star prep arm—he's a two-way guy—but they they announced him as a pitcher um, out of Georgia, who had a pretty strong football commitment to Clemson. Uh, they took in the third round, and Bubba said he's going to sign. So, um, I, I, it's four first-round picks.
0: Yeah, I think that um, this is this is one of the sexiest farm systems in baseball already, and just added four huge upside guys, a high school arm from the Northeast, who I think is sleepery in Kellington. Kellington, Yep. Who's got a big breaking ball and has that like Ubaldo Jimenez style delivery where that front Mm. side opens way, way up and his spine tilts out. Michael Waka, like young Waka is another comp for this. And it just lets him get behind the baseball and he just chucks it past dudes at the letters. And, you know, he only sits like 89, but he's a high school kid and we can develop velocity now. And then Jackson Glenn in the fifth round was one of my favorite seniors. Dallas Baptist middle infielder had like twenty bombs, stole a bunch of bases, as many walks as strikeouts. You know, it, arguably some of these guys who were fourth year, who are like COVID juniors this year, basically, uh, you know, had they had a full junior year, maybe they would have played better and and gone in the top five rounds last year. Like there are for sure going to be some players in this year's draft who deserve to go in twenty twenty and just didn't because they didn't have time to really get going and i think jackson glenn is is, a chance to be one of those guys so this is just maybe the most exciting farm system in baseball when wander franco graduates from the Rays list they still just have so much organizational depth that Mm -hmm. they're likely to continue to be number one for a little while but pittsburgh if there's another team that is up there in tier two or maybe is you know part of tier one the way the padres had been until their recent trades i think it's this farm system
1: and and they did take a safety pick in case something doesn't work out here with braylon bishop in the 14th who's a a raw but excessively tooled out kid from arkansas who's who's committed to arkansas pretty hard um and and likely going to school but um i I mean like you said it's a really good farm system one of the best and they just added four first round picks to it uh pittsburgh your hot take is you you had the best draft in baseball yep so uh that's it for the central we'll take one more break you'll listen to a little bit more of Izzy True. We'll come back and do the West.
0: Was on fire as baby was burning to its funeral fire. My mama, she called.
1: go through the west in our special 2021 draft recap we start with the american league houston astros uh this is their last year in the penalty box for the sign stealing uh their first pick did not come until the third round 87th overall but uh i don't think they could be any happier than they are in the sense that you know this is another high school bat that had some late first round buzz threw out a big number is going to take the overwhelming majority of their bonus pool but nonetheless, to sit around and say we don't pick till eighty-seven and walk away with Tyler Whitaker has to be something that thrills them.
0: Yeah, I think that both their first two picks are indications that the club still cares a lot about measurable raw power. Tyler Whitaker from Bishop Gorman in the Vegas area—it's like the big. I think it's Joey Gallo's high school. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, he's a traditional right field prospect, power, six-four frame. And strikeout issues. In this case, the strikeout issues come from just swing efficacy. I'm not a big fan of the way his swing works right now, but if they can augment that or in a way that makes you know sense, or maybe I'm just wrong, uh, then yeah, he's got a <laughs> chance to hit four huge power. And then Alex Uloa, Calvary Christian in Florida, one of three guys from that school to be drafted. Uh he this is the more like, boy, this guy's got an athletic swing. He really sells out for power. I made a Michael Chavis comp in uh, the copy. Do yeah, prob- he's- probably a second baseman. Yeah, definitely not a shortstop. Is more like in that second third base group. But again, swing and miss issues with power. But the reasons here are a little bit different. It's just because this guy takes like a big, a big athletic hack rather than having having a hole in the swing.
1: And a guy who really benefited, you know, from the team. You know, they so there are so many scouts going yeah. down there. You know, obviously there's tons of scouts hanging out in, in Southern Florida anyway. It's such a hotbed, but you know, you'd go see Christian Calvary. You'd go, you'd stay there. You'd go back-to-back days. So you could see, uh, you, you know, both Painter and Irv Carter, who we talked about Serrano. Toronto. Um, you got, then you got two extra looks at, at, at Um You know, Chase McDermott, the um, right-hander out of Ball State, uh, was probably their only other, I, I guess the word I wanted to use is legitimate pick, just in the sense that, you know, Whitaker is going to cost a lot of money and, and and five to 10 was was money-saving city.
0: Yeah, um, I did a little extra work on these guys just because I'm working. I'm going alphabetically, kind of working down everybody's uh, draft class to add guys to the pro side of the board, especially players who weren't on our pre-draft rankings. Um, since we only ranked like 80 guys this year, and McDermott's definitely going to be on their pro list. It's a relief look with you know big fastball carry and and a breaking ball and. you and I talked about this a little bit while you were still with the Astros. Mm -hmm. There was a year where Cody Deason and Michael Flynn were two pitching prospects at the University of Arizona. And the area scouts were split about which one they liked more than the other. And the ones who liked Flynn liked him because they thought he had a better chance of starting. And the ones who liked Deason and the Astros eventually drafted him, liked him because they thought he had a better chance of being anything at all because he had a legit, breaking ball and Flynn did not like he Flynn just kind of threw more strikes with lousy stuff than decent who had good stuff, but couldn't throw strikes. And that's what McDermott is. It's a relief look. Uh, I did like Quincy Hamilton in the fifth round. Yeah. Later. Like
1: huge, huge performer. This is the guy who, yeah. you know, a lot of people saw because they were going to go see Tyler black and walk. He's like, this guy outperformed Tyler black this year. This guy hit, um, had a 1300 OPS with, with 15 bombs and and 20 bags and, and 48 games. This is a, you know, little left-handed stick, but with has some tools.
0: Yep, and then Jimmy Loperfito in the seventh round from Duke. Another senior with rare tools, like actually can run and has some power and has a really great baseball body. Uh, just strikes out a lot, like is a combo of approach and breaking ball recognition stuff that's sort of working in concert to make him swing and miss a ton. And then I like Kobe Catto in the 13th round. Arizona, second baseman just another one of these like Rays specials where it's compact lefty bat batting up the middle just college, quick
1: college yeah. grinder bat
0: no power just has gets the bat through the zone quick uh and is like impossible to beat with velocity and now it's just about getting the gym kiddo and get stronger and like let's see what happens to the power
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um oakland a's uh we heard them attached to a lot of high school bats in the first round the whole way uh, at the end of the day, we knew that they had kind of zeroed in on Max Muncy, got a little nervous about it uh, leading up to the draft when someone told me that Muncy threw out a, a $3 million price tag. Uh, at the end of the day, they took Muncy, uh, they will likely sign him, that's only 250 over that slot. Um, so they're going to get that done. They took Mac Muncy, who can, he can just hit. It's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the better high school bats, or one of the high school bats, at least you feel the best about, um, dude can hit and, and has some pop to him as well. Uh, shortstop. We'll see. Um, and from there, it was, it was, it was safer. It was, it was college city. Um, my favorite pick here is Denzel Clark in the fourth. Um, Denzel Clark is a six foot five, 220 pound, absolutely tooled out dude uh, at a coast at a Cal state Northridge. He's Canadian. Um, he barely played baseball as a teenager and kind of came to it late uh, was looking for a school in the states to play and thought he might be able to get into a bigger school. That didn't happen, and so he got a chance at Northridge. He performed well this year. Um, I, his from mom what was I've, an Olympian. His mom was once the Canadian national record holder in the long jump and I believe a heptathlete. Um, and and it was very and is very involved in 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 his future career. Um, I talked to a couple teams who met with this kid at the draft um, combine stuff and said the makeup was eighty pure eighty. Uh, big Denzel Clark fan. There was some talk that
0: he might go as high as the second round, and I was kind of surprised to see him still there. I like the Zach Geloff pick here in round two as well. I think that the plus-gloved third baseman demo is kind of underrated when the when the offensive tools are, are very vanilla at third base. I think those guys tend to be dismissed. And so you know, I think Geloff has a chance to, to do something with his defense being a driving force in that. Uh totally agree with you on Denzel Clark. And then high you know, high probability 40 man guy, CJ Rodriguez in the fifth round catcher at Vanderbilt. Yeah, look can we talk about this real quick?
1: Yeah. Um so so CJ Rodriguez, obviously the catcher at Vanderbilt. Um good kid, good receiver. Do you think that that he helps his draft profile by showing his ability to catch pro level arms in lighter and rocker?
0: Yeah. Uh, of course he does it's, you end up
1: walking away with some like some real comfort there like this dude can catch real stuff.
0: Yeah, I think him and Casey Opitz are the two guys yeah, who caught the best stuff example. all year, and um, and then I guess Logan Tanner, uh, who was a 2022 uh, from Mississippi State, are the three guys who those are the most talented pitching staffs in the country. And yeah, it's it's way different catching upper 90s, Hugh Fisher, Luke Murphy, even just these guys that Vanderbilt has coming out of the bullpen who throw hard and maybe don't know what they're doing. Like, guess what everyone in low A looks like? <laughs> it's like <laughs> mid-90s and they don't know what they're doing. So, yeah, I think C.J. Rodriguez is like a high pro- probability big leaguer of some kind, but low ceiling to be sure. Uh, and then Grant Holman, the six-round two-way guy. Really interesting. Yeah, power, uh, first base, third base type as a hitter with like mid nineties and crude breaking ball feel on the mound. Maybe if he concentrates on pitching, which is how he was announced, like they're they'll find another gear with a breaking ball and he can be a good reliever.
1: Yeah. I think, I think he's a real interesting pick. Um, he's extra large human six, 250 um, And has, like you said, that's, it's, it's mid nineties heat. And this was, I think this was his
0: first year where he didn't hit or did he hit still this year? Uh, I think, I don't think he hit this year. I, I know that he's just been a prospect on the mound now. Yeah. And so, you know,
1: Focusing solely on pitching, you know, really, really for the first time, um, uh, you know, and we'll see what they do with their eleventh rounder who needs to be talked about. Water oh, yes. Rivera, um, very raw, but like you know, I had to say toolsy about a pitcher, but very toolsy. Um, this is a six foot seven, two hundred and forty pound lefty, uh, with, with with arm speed and like he still has to learn how to pitch, but it's a it's a heck of a starting point to give to a pro development staff.
0: I think that there's um between this kid who was up to 97 in the draft league, he's got a vertical arm slot. His breaking balls got depth because of that. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned it. He's like six-seven-two forty. 240 Jorge Juan, who is also on the complex league here um, in Arizona. The two of these guys combined, they average six, eight, like two forty-five <laughs> between the two of them. So, um, like, if anyone wants to play a pickup game uh, of basketball with anyone in the AZL, like, go you're going to want to draft the A's roster first. They've got two 6'8 arms on their on their staff.
1: <laughs> um, Seattle Mariners are next. The Mariners, a um, little bit of a surprise at 12. This is a guy more expected to go, like, thought to have a ceiling in the late teens. Um, but they took Henry Ford. They announced him as a catcher. Um, this is a very, very toolsy catcher. This guy's a, a plus, maybe even a little bit above that runner. Um, athletic kid, real bat speed or some pop in there. Um, some teams said that they would send him out in center field. Um, they announced him as a catcher uh, where he is a, a little crude in terms of receiving. Um, you'll likely get uh, a, a very close up look at him this summer.
0: Yeah. For them to go high school, high school, high school in the first round was kind of surprising based yeah. on their recent uh, patterns of drafts. Uh, Harry Ford's going to be very exciting the The thing that's interesting about him is like he's really tightly wound, and really the way he looks athletically, if I had to comp kind of how tight he looks uh with anyone I've seen recently, it's Desmond Lindsay who ended up having a ton of hamstring issues, uh some of them very severe and really just struggled to even find consistent playing time uh because of injury and, and developed for that reason. So it's it's far too speculative and, and irresponsible for me to be like, hey, I bet this guy's going to get hurt, even though there's zero evidence of that. But let's look for soft tissue injuries in the lower half just because this guy is so tight. Uh, no body projection with Harry Ford either. But every, all the skills are relatively in place. He has power. He has speed. He has feel for contact. He's not having to learn that. Mm -hmm. This isn't a high risk hit tool type of prospect. He can hit already. So uh, might move really fast, especially if he does move out from behind home plate. Uh, What did you think of Edwin Arroyo, the switch hitting, switch throwing shortstop and uh, lefty pitcher who uh, they took in the second round?
1: I don't know if you know this or not, but he's actually a switch pitcher.
0: He's a switch pitcher too. I he, thought he just he, threw pitched left handed.
1: He can throw right handed as well. Um, this was the best player in Puerto Rico. I they announced him as a shortstop. I'm actually they're going to let him develop as a shortstop. Um, I like Christian Arroyo or Edwin Arroyo a lot. Edwin's a it's a it's a real shortstop, which is always yes. a, a question with these kind of high school kids. Um, super athletic. He's got it, it. It looks like a shortstop. It's a classic Latin shortstop look. Like really smooth hands. Great transfer. It's a plus arm um he's also a switch hitter there's feel to hit there um there's just he's not a big physical kid there's not a lot of pop it kind of feels like um you know the the ceiling here is an everyday defensive first shortstop he hits seven eight nine um but but i i like it for where you get him uh, there and and i thought they got a nice pick in the fourth in bryce miller who who i think a lot of people thought might go in the second or third round um this is the the, the texas a&m right-hander who uh you know has pretty solid stuff it's 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 you know Low to mid-90s, uh, but an impressive slider. Um, and we'll see where he ends up role-wise, but it, the, the stuff looks pretty good. The other high school guy they took was was Michael Morales, the Pennsylvania prep right-hander in the third. What What'd you think of him?
0: I think he's about your standard... Third-round high school pick. Third-round high school arm. Yeah, like <laughs> I think he and Alex Santos and um, like Hubeck, who the Dodgers took, they're all the high end of this type of of prospect where there's more fluidity and athleticism than the other guys in this group whose stuff looks similar. Like the thing that separates these high school pitchers who are all all have about the same measurables and all throw about the same velocity and their breaking ball quality is all roughly the same is how athletic are you? How graceful is the delivery? Like what is your touch and feel like it, it is some of the subjective stuff that starts to separate guys in that relatively large bucket of player and i thought he was on the high end of that group
1: and and this this first hand for handful of picks like you said high school guys these are these are gonna cost some money um and they went very kind of money saver from the fifth or sixth round on
0: yeah andy thomas in the fifth round out of baylor is like the mayor of of baylor you know he's <laughs> Been there forever and just performed uh, from a contact perspective. Yeah. But his swing, you watch him swing and you're just like, eh, eh, this is definitely an org guy. Brian Wu in the sixth round has big arm strength and that's sort of it right now. It's just, again, great on-mound athlete with a beautiful delivery, premium arm strength, and that's it. He's like He's got a three on his slider right now. Uh, mm. The visual evaluation and the data are both like, nope, this is not a good slider. Um, and then that was sort of it. like As far as guys who, as I worked down the Mariners group, to stick on the pro side of the board. Wu is the guy at the bottom where I'm like, yeah, maybe he's a 35 plus. Whereas I thought everyone who they they took in rounds one through five or one through four belongs on there in some capacity right away.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, this was a pitching heavy draft. And the Los Angeles Angels were the king of it. Rounds one through round 20. All pitchers. They did not take a single bat in the draft. They went All pitching all the way uh starting with sam bachman uh the ninth overall pick i thought there was a chance that bachman might fall out of the first there's concerns about the medical obviously those those concerns did not uh scare the angels away but that's probably going to save a little bit of money at some point i don't know who they're spending that money on in the sense that you know if you look at they didn't take a high school arm until the 12th and and, and mason albright he'll probably need some money to to to, to sign
0: he's um, probably an upper six figures type guy yeah. low low 90s left you with change up so he's probably like 750 800 something like that wouldn't surprise me if you got 900
1: yeah sam bachman if they if they keep if they keep if they put him in a pen roll he's going to um Oh, he'll move. He can move real quick. It's, it's a, it's a hundo. It's a slider. Some more strikes and he's there. Kai Bush was a late riser. Um, their second round pick, uh, big, big lefty out of St. Mary's with real stuff. And it kind of went from, it, it it went from all this guy's in the low nineties to all this guy's in the mid nineties over the spring. Um, just kind of gained velocity as we went. Um, slider is inconsistent, but he'll, 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 he'll get you some good ones um in general through strikes um and and a guy who you know we heard is you know some comp round buzz he ends up going 45th yeah. overall um you know, lana marceau in the third out of lsu super famous um yep. been around forever as a team usa as a kid it's just like a really really polished guy but it's not crazy stuff um your classic mid Day two, Vandy Arm, who's not a big star. Luke Murphy in the fourth. Um, those guys happen all the time because they get so many damn players there. But did, did anyone else below really kind of strike your fancy?
0: Jake Smith, six-round, big V low, no doubt relief. Maybe His command has to progress by at least a full grade if he's even going to be an up-down relief type guy. But it's three to five, touch a seven with a nasty slider at times. It's just his execution is very inconsistent. Olthoff, Braden Olthoff in the ninth round out of two lane. Uh, this is a Boris advisee. Uh in the ninth round, small out of a relatively small school in relief because go look at his stats. Like they, they're ridiculous. Visually, he is a three athlete. His delivery is really weird and unathletic, but that's part of why he's been so successful because it screws with hitters. Mm-hmm. Uh he, he executes the shit out of his slider. So I think that he's fascinating. I think, you know, if we're asking ourselves the question, how many of these guys go on the pro prospect list? I think our answer might be pretty variable. It'd probably be bigger than people would anticipate because there there are basically the horses in this draft class to do another Dylan Bundy type deal or two where they just send a pitching prospect pinata of fringe guys to someone else who thinks they can develop them for a piece and that's like andrew peters in the 10th round he has big velo olthoff has this plus slider uh you know luke murphy has big velo uh landon marceau has four pitches and the breaking balls are plus mason albright is interesting chase silseth in the 11th round out of arizona up to 98 had a plus splitter in junior college that went away and was de-emphasized with arizona maybe you can do something with that mohanley from adrian college in michigan in the 13th round was an early spring pop-up guy who ended up needing TJ. So, like, there are a bunch of interesting guys here. Uh, but but it's, you know, this is def- definitely a depth draft over high end. And the pitching thing is totally weird. Uh, I, you know, it's it's a little extreme. I, I would like to have seen a little bit more diversity <laughs> here. But, uh, but, yeah, like, there are definitely the horses that just do a Dylan Bundy-style deal again, like where they just send a bunch of interesting sleeper types to someone who thinks they can develop them.
1: Uh, let's move on to the Texas Rangers. Um, I don't know if we didn't even talk much about Jack Lighter. You guys know what Jack Lighter is, yeah. and then we, we knew, like I said when we talked about you know, about Boston, um, it you know, we got word maybe with an hour to go that the Rangers were Jack Lighter. Period. Like no matter what happens, one they're Jack Lighter because um, it seemed pretty clear that the Pirates were not going to take Jack Lighter. So they were. It was all Jack Lighter all the time. They took him second round pick. They took your guy. Um, this is the guy you talked to me about early. Um, this was not a huge prospect going into the spring. Uh, in, in Aaron Zavala at Oregon, and he, uh, ended up being the Pac 12 MVP, uh, had an OPS over 1100 in a big conference. Um, lots of contact, decent power. It's not a big power guy, but, um, a lot of walks, a lot of contact, and, and can impact a baseball.
0: Yeah. The, the low end. We kind of, you know, flag planted on this guy or whatever. That's the term for it, but it's not like the motivation behind it. Like, Aaron Zavala had just one of the best statistical years of any hitter in Division I college baseball this year. Uh, he's relatively positionless and does not have big power, nor vi- neither visually nor measurably. And so there are definitely people and teams who... Don't like Aaron Zavala as much, had him more in round three, round four, whereas we had him ranked in the comp. And just like I mentioned with the high school arms, there are things for me, visual subtleties that separate guys like this from others. And it's just underlying musculature and athleticism. And then in Zavala's case too, his age. So he's barely 21. Mm -hmm. And this guy's got an ass on him, Kevin. Like this guy's (laughs) athletic, okay? He's he's well put together and he ha- takes an athletic swing and he can it's loop. a lefty swing too yeah and so what type of guy would I am I going to bet on coming into some power late it's it's a guy who rotates explosively in the box who's got who, who's who's jacked you know he's he's muscular. And who's young for his class and who I think has a chance of developing physically a little bit more yet compared to his peers. Uh, And that's Zavala. So we juice this guy on the board. Uh, Ideally, you can shoehorn him at second or third base, and he's just like a 35 level defender there. And then other times he's playing the corner outfield for you. Maybe he can run around in center field a little bit because, like, this guy can run. Yeah, he probably uh, belongs in a corner outfield, I think. But, yeah, but yeah, I think that's true. Like, you know, that's the thing I'm trusting the area scouts I speak to up there. And none of them think this guy can play center field. So, but yeah, I really like him. And again, if he can be a piece, if he can be a 45 in, in the way that, like, Josh Rojas is for the D backs right now or Paven Smith or whatever, like, that's a good outcome at pick 38. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of guy I think that he can be.
1: And again, just to, to restate the year, he had, um, 392, 525, 628, um, obviously at a very real school at Oregon in 199 at bats, nine home runs, 50 walks, 31 strikeouts. Um, yep. so yeah, the, this guy, like the models exploded on this guy too. Um, so they took the, you know, they took the, they, they took the big college arm and lighter, they, the big college bat and Zavala. Um, and then they, after that, they went, you know, they played the high school game for a while. Um, uh, Cameron Colley, shortstop out of Texas. Ian Moeller, the, the Iowa kid. Um, those guys are always tough to see. And then uh, Georgia left-hander Mitch Bratt. Um, this might cost them a little bit of money, but none of these guys went like crazy lower than expected.
0: Yeah, this is them behaving this way for two years in a row. I assume Lighter will get something close to slot, but Zavala might be under, and then they did Sleeper High School, Sleeper High School, Sleeper High School. Ian Moeller has been famous for a while, but... He's a catcher with power and swing and miss issues. The tracker for these guys is not great. Uh, Mahler was definitely in my first round mix coming into last summer just because he had so much power for a catcher. Um, and then he didn't perform. And, yeah, these guys are tough to see. They're often playing on, like, uh, Legion ball, basically. Yeah. They're going back and forth often between, like, Kenosha and Iowa uh, during the late spring. Uh, just like where there are good facilities to, to see them. and like Yeah, I mean, often,
1: it. I mean, during the, 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 the Jared Kelnick year, you'd go to
0: Iowa to see him. Yep. Um, then Cameron Colley in the third round is like plus run, good defensive shortstop with some feel for contact, needs to get more physical. This was the guy who, they, when this name was called, I did not know who it was. Um, and then everything I just told you is work I've done since then. And he'll be towards the bottom of the the Rangers list, but he's an interesting developmental sleeper. Mitch Bratt in the fifth round is the low end of the high school arms that I talked about, where he is kind of heavy bodied and not very athletic, but it's a lefty with uh, carry and a breaking ball.
1: In and the frame. And real quick, the eleventh round pick. Eleventh round is always interesting, and um, this is you know a safety pick. Maybe throw some money out if you have it. Uh, Jojo Blackman is a very raw. Um, but but fantastic outfield left-hand swing uh, plus raw plus plus run has some d1 options as a wide receiver i believe yeah go um,
0: search twitter for his name there are a couple football highlights on there and they're fun
1: <laughs> so um to see if they can get that one done um it's time to move to our final division the National League West. We begin with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, we talked a little bit about what happened at 14, and we, we thought they had a deal done with Cleo Watson. It seemed to fall apart at the end for one reason or another. And they end up taking um, one of the fastest risers late over at that time in Will Bednar, who was, uh, I, I don't remember what they call it, but let's just call it MVP of the College World Series. Um, yeah. Guy with, with real stuff, like the slider's fantastic. Um, and... You know kind of went over a month from you know probably a second round pick to where he goes, which is in the middle of the first round
0: uh Kyle Harrison last year and now will bednar this year to me indicates that this is one of those orgs that even though the f- top of the org is progressive seeming that they are a little bit more open about fastball shape you know, since bednar is like a two seam tailing mm-hmm. slider type guy um so I think that's pretty interesting. I love Matt Mikulski in. The second round, uh, lefty out of Fordham, senior. He's a guy who shortened his arm action between 2020 and 2021 and now has that really truncated Lucas Giolito-style arm action. He still is a little bit uh, stiff, and I think that there's real relief risk here. But he, even though it, he just kind of throws it, it's not like he's got Cole Hamels-style touch and feel for it. I do think that this guy's changeup is his best secondary pitch I've had people in my chat saying like hey I'm reading elsewhere that this guy's slider is what's what's good and that I think that his slider is fine but I think the changeup here like he executes this location consistently enough it is that Devin Williams style power uh, screwball screwball action changeup. I, I think that's going to be the meal ticket pitch here and it's big lefty velo so uh, they might have saved some money here and he's going to move fast. He's older. It's a senior. Like I, I like the second rounder, Matt Mikulski, too. Mason Black in the third round at a Lehigh. Look, I'm biased for these PA guys, especially when they're from the Valley. But Mason Black, <laughs> I don't know. Like This was an arrow-down guy um, throughout the spring. He didn't strike out anybody in the Patriot League finals. I'm really concerned that this guy might be hurt or uh, trending down. His track record of performance was a while ago, um, and it was pretty short.
1: And they might spend some of that money savings on, on Eric Silva, their fourth round pick out of Jay Love Sarah, um, him. super athletic kid. Uh, yeah. very, 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 very fast arm, um, kind of low to mid nineties. You, 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 see a little bit more overall and it was probably going to take some, you know, this is probably where his talent lies, but he's, he's going to demand more money. He's got a pretty strong commitment to UCLA. And that's one of the tougher schools to get kids out of. They did some interesting stuff right after Silva. And in, in the fifth round, they took, uh, Rowan Honda from Yale, um, and I imagine they had a private workout with him because the Ivy League did not have baseball this year. Um, and so, oh, that's right. yeah, they COVIDed out. And so, like, he didn't get any game action. So I imagine, you know, he was a guy, he's a physical lefty with, with decent stuff. I imagine that he private worked out with them and, and impressed them. In um, the sixth, they took Seth Lonsway from Ohio State. Uh, 6'3 lefty with plus velo and an 80 curveball in terms of spin rate and action. And he commands his pitches as well as my cat. Um, And if they can harness it, they have a real, they have a real arm there. They're liking more of a pen thing.
0: Do you know much about their 11th rounder McIntyre, Donovan McIntyre from out your way in Illinois?
1: Tooled out, super raw. I wonder if they're going to have save enough money to spend them. But like it's, it's, I, he feels, I I would think that it's a, it's a a skinny long frame. He's very twitchy. I think think if they do sign him you will be watching him in arizona for two years
0: yeah the just doing the synergy work on him where the video is from last summer he's really underdeveloped physically and really struggles to swing with any kind of control he's just taking these full body swings to kind of get the bat around hard at all uh, mm-hmm. so yeah I, that sounds that sounds right they they've drafted a couple guys like that in recent years PJ Hilson.
1: yeah uh, and not not a huge like high school prize he's committed to it I can't remember where he's committed to a Mac school
0: okay so yeah like they've had a couple interesting developmental types like that around they still do Williams um, I'm forgetting Williams first name right now but yeah they always have a couple guys like that who are interesting to watch and but the short-term track record on them is while well, they're still at the complex you know
1: right um, Los Angeles Dodgers I think this is one of the more fascinating drafts in baseball, period. Um, yeah. They went- The pitchers. We Trust
0: Our Dev staff draft.
1: It's, it's remarkable. Um, so they went pitching all the way through the 15th round. Um, you know, they, We talked about the Angels. Tons of teams did this. It's pitching, pitching heavy. So, But let's talk about this in the sense that um, never heard any sort of first-round buzz on Maddox Bruns. However, if Maddox Bruns threw strikes consistently, he would have been a top-10 pick. You would have been talking about a high school left-hander into the upper 90s with a vicious breaking ball. Right. If if yeah. fourth-round pick Nick Nastrini threw strikes, he would have been easily a top 100 player and maybe as high as a top 50 player. Um, insanely great pitch data, um, but really struggled at UCLA primarily because of his command. Um, Emmett Sheehan, a 6'5 right-hander from Boston College, who took in the to six. If Emmett Sheehan threw strikes and commanded stuff better, he would have been um in the third round or higher, they took they, in a world where we saw like like Cleveland took all these college arms and you look at them and you're like, man, that dude just throw they just, just pounds the zone, right? They throw strikes, they throw strikes, they throw strikes. There, there's other teams where you look their 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 the pitching that they took in the first couple days, it's like, man, this team really started to focus on command. And there was a time, I think, of market inefficiency, where teams were looking so much at pitch data and that pitch data doesn't tell you location. They were just looking at spin and movement. You know what I mean? And like, oh, look at the spin and the movement. And I think the Astros were guilty of this at times as well. Like, look at the spin and the movement. That's a great pitch. Like, well, can he command it? And that became like this a bit of a a, a bit of a marketing efficiency. And now everyone's saying, oh, oh crap, command matters. And they they kind of oversteered, overcorrected to command. And the Dodgers
0: just went, fuck all y'all. We're taking stuff, <laughs> dudes, and we'll see what happens. You're right. Like Bruns. If Bruns throw strikes last summer, he and Job are tier one mm-hmm. in, among the high school arms. Um, yeah.
1: Again, this kid's left-handed, upper 90s, and can spin it.
0: And then, yeah, it's it's all up and down the draft. The names you didn't mention, Peter Hubeck in the third round, is, again, just like really loose. His fastball just has natural carry and plays best at the letters. The Dodgers love these guys. Uh, and his breaking ball shape comes and goes, but when it's good, it's a really good breaking ball. And they did this, this is two years in a row of them just kind of going, you know what? Bobby Miller's arm action is kind of weird. We don't care. Clayton Beater has a four week track record of throwing strikes at a competent level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we exactly. don't care.
1: We don't care. Look at the stuff. Clayton Beater Max stuff. 23,
0: who cares? Like, uh, like yeah, they're just they've loaded their farm system up with guys who have real shit. Uh, and I, there's a pro scout who I know who told me that their, their dev, uh, told them, Hey, like, bring us guys with real shit, please. And that's all that the Dodgers did. And they answered the call. It, um,
1: I have, uh, in, in talking to teams over the last few months, um, I, there is a, a profound respect for the Dodgers player development group. Um, and, and teams think that they have some shit going on that other teams don't. Um, both in terms of position players uh, and approach and what they can do with pitchers. So we'll see if they're right. But um, I, I'm fascinated by this draft and and it's certainly an upside play, but it could be, it could be a big upside play after that.
0: One of their dev uh, group heads who they've now begun to put forward, like he's who talks to baseball America and pipeline and stuff when they are writing about the Dodgers farm system uh, is Matt McGrath. And Mick G and I go back a long time to Baseball Info Solutions uh, like we were at Baseball Info Solutions together. And now he's one of the head people in the Dodgers dev group. And he he speaks Southie Boston English and Dominican Spanish. So nobody can understand him. <laughs>
1: let's move on to the san diego padres the padres put a little bit of a surprise at 27 they took jackson merrill (coughs) excuse me the uh maryland high school shortstop who um i think was seen as more of a late second early third round talent i didn't hear a lot of first round buzz on him and was like oh they got something up their sleeves and it quickly became apparent what that was at 62 uh when they took james wood james wood uh another a bit of a polarizing figure again for for scouts this is the high school outfielder from img academy in florida he is, uh, look, this is, this is Aaron judge size human being. He's six seven, two forty, two forty five, 240 245, left-handed bat, uh, and generates the kind of exit velocities you simply do not see in teenagers. It is, it is unbelievable. He matches up, you know, let's talk about another teenager putting up insane exit velocities in Jordan Walker, pure raw power. He matches up with Jordan Walker, um, and he actually is is a fantastic athlete for his size. He runs well. Um, it will even give you a plus time in a sixty. Um, probably plays a corner outfield. At the end. The question is, how well is he going to get to that power? Because he does strike out a lot. And if I remember right, like this year, even in high school, he he did not hit three hundred.
0: Yep. Um, there are some teams who are just out entirely because they think no, it's like hit tool is just a no. Similar to Will Benson, or mm. you, know, you just pick yeah, someone who, where the levers are so long that up against pro velocity, it's a foregone conclusion that this is not going to work. But um, but yeah, there then you have people who are like, hey, it's seven raw right now. He's basically putting up exit velocities commensurate with like a quad A player who's twenty eight years old. And we think that he runs well enough underway to play center field. Like, those teams are way in on this guy. You can guess which one the Padres are, right? (laughs) So Josh Mears, who's also in the Padres system, is another one like this, where Josh Mears, in a big league spring training game, he's super raw. Josh Mears is so raw that when he went to area code games as a rising senior, he was still uncommitted. And then he blew up at area codes and had like a bunch of scholarship offers when he left that week, right? He hit a ball 117 in a big league spring training game this year as, like, a raw 19-year-old who is striking out, like, 38% of the time in low A right now, okay? So that's what James Wood is probably going to be. He's a left-handed hitting version of it, so I think his chances of being something are substantially better than I think Josh Mears' are. Uh, And, yeah, like, it's going to be awesome to try to watch James Wood in uh in arizona and then they took on the other end of the spectrum in the third round they took golden spikes winner kevin cops who i think is like 24 maybe already he is 24 already yeah executes the crap out of a slider over and over again and he was a dominant multi-inning reliever in the sec he's probably gonna move fast in a lesser role
1: yeah and when you say multi-inning reliever like at times this guy would throw three four five innings Mm -hmm. um this was a multi-inning reliever
0: um what are the chances Kevin Kopp switches in the big leagues this year? I think you ballparked it at, like, 1-5. I'd probably take the under on that, but I still think that they exist. Um, yeah, like, like we said, he's 24 years old, Up, absolutely
1: dominated. Gold Like you said, Golden Spikes winner as a reliever. Um, but I think he threw almost 100 innings this year. Um,
0: the two West Virginia arms, you know, yeah. Jackson Wolf. In the fourth round, Jackson Wolf is another Padres type in that he's a, a successful college pitcher who just has huge stones.
1: And big size, big frame, dude. Yeah.
0: Um, and then Max Ferguson in the fifth round, uh, out of Tennessee, a plummeter this spring. Yeah. Like big time, 2020 performance. He, uh, was great in the fall and then he came out this year and was just super passive. So his stat line doesn't look terrible, but it's just cause he just kind of stands there and walks a lot, Mm -hmm. but it's good frame, pretty low ball, lefty swing, just not a lot of bat speed. He's a plus defensive second baseman. I still think this guy has outs. His profile is is good in general. It's just about, like, getting him to be more aggressive and a little bit more physical. Um, and then Berger in the sixth round out of West Virginia, I think he had TJ. And I don't think – did he throw all year even? He's just one of those guys who so. has, like, a good breaking ball who's maybe undervalued a little too much because he's hurt. And then to, to go
1: back to the the, the pick of Wood, it's – Wood they had a very high price tag, somewhere in the $4 million range. And I get the feeling that they took him without having total assurances to their ability to sign him because they did take a couple safety picks at 18 and 20. Um, guys who were, you know, probably first two-round talents or certainly an engaged jump. The, the lefty from Jay Sarah, uh, and, and Chase Burns, a, a physical right-handed Texas kid um, in the 20th. Like, I feels like those two are kind of their backup plans in case things with Wood get squirrely.
0: But they lose the slot value if they don't sign Wood, right? But they should, it's only yeah, one million,
1: right? So, so I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what they're going to try to do there. Um,
0: well, if you, so I guess as I'm thinking about Jordan Lawler, we'll talk about it in a second with Jordan Lawler, right? But like, yeah. if you can't sign Jordan Lawler, you lose the a Six point eight million dollar slot, and if you don't sign James Wood, you only lose a one point one million dollar slot. So the difference. when your over-slot guy is at a deeper pick and the slot that you might lose is only, you know, a couple hundred K or in this case, 1 million, even, you have a better chance of signing your safety guys.
1: Let's move on to the Colorado Rockies. Um, I laughed every time they cut to the Rockies draft room during the the, the broadcast because it was like three people in a bunch of empty chairs. Um, You know, obviously they, their, their GM was out. Several other people in that front office have chosen to walk away. Um, It feels like they're held together with glue and strings at this point. Um, I still am talking to teams. It is July 16th, and I'm still talking to teams who aren't really sure what's going on with them in trades and and, and aren't sure who they're really talking to or who the decision makers really are. Um, and it would be very easy to, to make fun of this, but I think the Rockies had a pretty solid draft. I like, Every time they made a pick, I shook my head and go, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's good. Um, they'd been attached to Benny Montgomery for a long time. Um, it was hard to... to it was hard to mock them to Montgomery because it always felt like someone better was going to be in their lap. And that was the case. You know, Khalil Watson and Brady House was available to them at eight, um, but they stuck with they, they They stuck with the tools, dude. The tools outfielder, I guess, would be the better way to put it in, in, in Montgomery. Um, and then, like, I think things got pretty interesting at 44. They took Jaden Hill, the power LSU arm with great stuff, limited track record, big athletic kid, upper 90s who, who had a T.J., um, and if he comes to them and, and can recover perfectly for him, this was a guy who had kind of aspirations as a single digit pick in the first.
0: Yeah. Um, and Bill Schmidt is the interim GM mm-hmm. and he was and their a scouting director and, and a scouting dude. Yeah, for sure. And this draft feels like that. And it feels like a lot of the recent Rockies drafts, which I tend to like, like uh, it's possible that I'm just wrong about all these players, too. But I really think that the Rockies' issues primarily the last many years have more to do with development than who they've taken. Maybe, like, look, you're out on your skis mm-hmm. a little bit when you're taking Riley Pint as high as they did. But, but yeah, like, Benny Montgomery I like. I think all the swing and miss risk associated with Benny is just perception, really. He, he performs bat-to-ball-wise. His swing just looks kind of weird. Uh, and I just like think that he his general feel for contact – that he just has and will retain, and maybe tweak the swing a little bit, but like, there's not real swing and miss issue here, like there are with the the, the way there is with some other guys. And then yeah, Jaden Hill, whatever we'll see. He's hurt. He he's going to be a reliever in the end anyway. Um, we probably oh, overrating him. I mean, the next three guys. like the three,
1: they went with three college college-armed right. after Montgomery, yeah. Jaden Hill, Joe Rock, uh, McCade Brown, and they all they all very similar profiles with different abilities, but these are. Um, very large people um, yep. with power stuff and considerable reliever risk.
0: And Hunter Goodman, the catcher from Memphis in the fourth round, Braxton Fulford, the catcher from Texas tech in the sixth round and Robbie Martin, the outfielder from Florida state in the eighth round are all just the hitting versions of those guys. Like they're yeah. giant dudes full. They all have big raw power. Martin has not gotten to his in games. Whereas Goodman and Fulford have but at the expense of strikeouts. And I don't,
1: I don't know if, if, Hunter Goodman can catch. I'm going to say no, uh, but he can hit. He's a big guy and it's very, very real power. Um and he, and he also um has a good Cape track record as well. So that gives you a little bit more assurance that he might hit as a pro. But um I like the bat a lot. I just think it's probably first base only, bat only kind of player. Um We're going to finish this off. We're on team 30. How's your voice holding up, Eric? It feels okay. Okay. Um This one might take a little while. Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, The question for the last two weeks or so leading up to the draft, let's say, um, it felt like we knew somewhere in late June that the Pirates were really looking at Meyer or Davis and that Lawler was not in their mix. And obviously, and, and, and we've talked about this in our draft preview episode, Lawler's age was working against him with some teams. He is 19 years old um lawler had a very strong commitment to vanderbilt which is a hard place to, to sign kids out of and it, and then you know eric and i both had heard that lawler made it pretty clear to teams you know even the ones you know knowing that Pittsburgh's gonna pass that he expects to be paid an elite bonus or he's going to vanderbilt and again as a 19 year old he would only go to vanderbilt for two years and then come out as a 21 year old and as jim Callis pointed out on the on the draft preview, and then no one would give a shit about how old he is and so um the Diamondbacks are, are calling the bluff, if you will. They took him at six. You know, we talk all the time and we say all this all the time. Like, look, no one's taking a guy without knowing they're going to sign him. This is not a done deal. Um, I've talked to multiple sources. This is not a done deal. They don't know if they're going to sign him. They're going to make a run at him. It's going to take over the 5.74 million slot. Um but this is not a done deal. If it goes South, they'll lose the 5.74 million and they'll pick seven. They'll get the seventh pick next year. So they're in line right now with how they're playing at the big league level to, you know, if they can't sign them, they would have the first and seventh pick in, in the 2022 draft. Um, I think the chances of Lawler signing are probably around two thirds. You know, I would say, let's say 66.66667%. Um, what do you think of that? Let's start with just Jordan Lawler and and his signability.
0: Does the rest, if you look at the rest of the class, do you feel confident that they cut enough to give him six point five? Like, is Ryan Bliss really going to be one point eight million in the second round? I no, like Ryan. They're going. I think they're going to shave that's a, a cut. Couple,
1: they're going to shave a couple hundred on Ryan Bliss. Castillo, I think, could be a tough sign, but maybe. I don't know what they're going to do with that. We'll get to Castillo in a second. Um, They're going
0: to save about 500K in the fourth round with Chad Patrick, the senior from Purdue Northwest. mm -hmm. Right? Like it'll be something approaching 500K, which is the slot is about 550.
1: They're they're going to save on Caleb Roberts, who's not a fifth round talent in the fifth. Um, Luke Albright, I don't know if they'll save much on. Seven, nine, and 10 are all money savers.
0: Yeah. they the could third get. Third rounders. Steinmetz we, is probably slot.
1: We can get to six and a half.
0: I think you can get to six and a half pretty easily. So I would I would say it's likely that he signs. Uh, but yeah, if he doesn't, then you're torpedoed. It's fine. Like next year's draft, I think is going to be a very strong draft. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that Elijah Green's going to go first next year as as prominent as. He is already for a young high school player, like a high school underclassman, to have this much profile is, is pretty rare, but uh, he's going to swing and miss a lot. He swung and missed a lot during this high school year. So I, I wouldn't pencil in Elijah Green as the first pick in next year's draft, but I do think it's going to be a pretty strong draft. Um, I don't know. Would you? Here's an interesting question for you Does the flexibility of having two super high picks like that, which is very rare, but it's mm-hmm. a thing you experienced? Yes. Would you rather have two top 10 picks in a single year or a top 10 pick in two consecutive years? What do you think you can, you're can you going to get the more uh, like more talent out of?
1: I'll be honest with you. I, I do think that's kind of a zero-sum game. I just think the pick has a value, and that's the value. I think if you pick first and seventh one year or first and seventh, I, I don't think you're – anticipated talent return is going to be any difference but you, I mean you're right in 2015 the Houston Astros had the second and the fifth pick um, the second pick was because of the, the Brady Aiken disaster and so um, you know the real you know the question you know it kind of became who do we think will go where there were some thoughts of taking Kyle Tucker too but then Bregman wasn't going to happen like we knew for a fact that um, Bregman was Bregman was not going to get past the Rangers. The Rangers were all over Bregman. We're really hoping that he'd be there for them. Um, and so Bregman was, was taken second and then crossed our fingers that, that Tucker would be there at five. But it felt like he was because it you know, felt like the Rangers were, were big on mostly college players. The biggest risk there was the Rockies. Ended up taking um, Brendan Rodgers. Um, this is a fascinating. I'm looking at the 2015 draft and I saw in person uh, eight of the first nine picks. So the only guy I did not see was actually I saw him at the tournament. I saw all nine, all the first nine picks, uh, in person. Um, I can see, but
0: yeah, you th- wow, Tyler J. That's right. Gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, one.
1: Illinois. Went we went down to Illinois a couple times. to See Tyler J. Actually, um, so, so I went to Cincinnati. See Ian Hap uh, saw Swanson Swanson and Fulmer at Vandy. Um, saw, we drove up drove over from spring training a couple times from Kissimmee to Tampa to watch Kyle Tucker. Um went to Santa Barbara to see Dylan Tate and, and went to Lake Mary during spring training to see brennan Rogers and saw Alex Bregman in Athens, Georgia, one of the finest cities in our in our in our beautiful nation. But let's get back. Enough of that. Let's get back to the Arizona. Um beyond Lawler. You know, like you said, Ryan Bliss, um, second round, probably seen by the industry as more of a third round dude. Uh little guy, but there's tools here. He's probably a second baseman. Um there's 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 some sneaky pop in there. Um He's athletic. It's, it's, it's a nice little player, but probably not a second-round pick. And Adrian Del Castillo, again, like another draft plummeter. Uh, in January, you probably would have put – if you did a January mock, you would have put him in the first half of the first round. But the problem was is like he was primarily seen as an offense-first catcher, and then his offense disappeared this year with the Hurricanes.
0: Yeah, uh, this is another one of those where, like, it's kind of shocking – Typically, college catchers who have this level of offensive track record entering their draft year are almost like a lock to go in the first round. And yet, like as draft time approached, and as we're shuttling our list around, all right, who needs to move? Who needs to be on here? It was just move Del Castillo down. We have no idea where he's going to go. He's been such a, like an unathletic zero all year. We don't know what to do with him. We don't know if he can catch. If he can't catch, he definitely doesn't have the power to, to profile anywhere else. So... So, yeah, I I kind of have zero feel for what kind of uh, bonus he's going to end up with. Yeah. He is a buy low type, though. Like, for sure, entering the spring, he was a mid-first round guy. He was in that mix.
1: he just absolutely stopped hitting. Um, Tenth rounder is another good lesson on, you know, sometimes you bet on yourself and you lose. Uh, Hugh Fisher had a lot of hype out of high school but wanted to go to Vanderbilt. Uh, Ended up getting a TJ, barely pitched for them, but still is a a 6'6 lefty with with real stuff. They did, you know, there's some safety picks down here you know, below on on day three, headlined by by Davis Diaz, who, you know, late first round comp round talent, but like a real strong college commitment.
0: Yeah, but supposedly he wants four mil. So, again, because the slot value that you lose if you don't sign Lawler is 5.7 mil— Right, but if, if you invert it and the slot you lose because you've taken your signability question mark in, I don't know, the fourth round, like if you do the Matthew Allen thing or whatever, mm-hmm. like you lose that slot, then you still have a chance to sign your safety guy. So I think there is some hidden advantage to, to really cutting hard early and trying to go over with, you know, because you, you just afford yourself more chances to actually get a deal done with some of your safety guys. Uh, you know, Jacob Steinmetz in the third round, the high school arm from Elev8 Baseball. So it's school. Yeah. Like what are we doing here? Doesn't anybody take any kind of pass at the the name of these, uh, academies for, for sports only. Yeah. Like, Hey, we want an ignorant kid. TXNL down there as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like let's just, whatever we, we, let's have an ignorant kid who, who plays sports all day. Uh, great. (laughs) So (laughs) Chad Patrick in the fourth round, uh, you know, Purdue University Northwest senior, his breaking ball has real angle. Everything else is sort of you know, interesting traits guy. Uh, Luke Albright with Kent State was a pop-up guy at one point who was thrown really hard. Mm-hmm. Scotty Randall at Sac State I saw during the WAC tournament. Uh, he's got a good changeup and throws a lot of strikes, so we'll see. Uh, Timmy Tawat in the 11th round is a dude who I was on big coming out of high school because he was one of these two-sport physical athletes. Um, and, you know, he just... Can't really hit, uh, but he's interesting. Chani Ortiz from Grand Canyon can really pick it and has way more walks than strikeouts, but the physical evaluation of the tools is well, well below average. Uh, and then the the eighty baseball name in this group is Drake Varnado. It is Varnado like tornado. Um, he's another IMG Academy kid uh, who I saw a lot with his travel ball club called Arkansas Sticks, which also had like Braylon Bishop. Yeah. Uh, that's I think for my money right now, that's the best travel ball program. It's like definitely the one that I look for on the schedules when they come out for events here in Arizona to see. They have like now they have an Arizona chapter of that group, so the Arkansas kids I think are a little less likely to come this way for stuff, which uh isn't great. But yeah, like I mentioned PJ Hilson before. Like PJ Hilson, Max Marushak, Sean Gilby, uh all all these guys have like come through this the sticks um program lately and it's just fun watching these dudes with elite tools who aren't famous yet uh try to fight for reps with that travel ball club
1: and they took another high school kid with a big price tag and, and eric hammond um like your classic texas high school right hander like six four with with a real fastball who has a very strong college commitment to usc um so we'll see what they end up how they end up playing those names um that's 30 teams in about 300 minutes <laughs> <laughs> it's 30 teams
0: well let's talk about uh 2024 real quick
1: <laughs> our 2022 draft preview will be next week um well, Erica, yeah, well
0: who who from who from the group <laughs> of guys who didn't uh no seriously like so who didn't go from the high school group? First of all, Isaiah Thomas from Vanderbilt didn't go. Mm-hmm. Um that was kind of surprising. And then who from the high school guys are we putting towards the top of our twenty twenty four board here? Can we wait and see who doesn't sign yet? Uh well I, if let's just assume everyone who's taken in the first ten rounds will sign.
1: Well, yeah, I mean Davis Diaz is gonna get up there a little bit.
0: I think um. Braden Montgomery is number one right now. Just if we're using mm-hmm. our tw- our twenty one board of guys who didn't sign, then Will Taylor. Will Taylor. Then Thatcher Heard, UCLA, big breaking ball, eighty eight, ninety one with a frame. Alex Mooney. Oh, 19- he did. Yeah, nineteen year old shortstop from uh, Orchard Lake St Mary's Prep in Michigan's another like older high school shortstop who's probably hurt by models. Josh Hartle, lefty, lanky, low slot, um, going to Wake. F- forest i think yeah wake forest who's that program does a good job of developing pitchers uh so these are the names stash away for 2024 peyton stovall arkansas uh yep i think those are the big ones
1: yeah and stovall announced early on that that he actually he pulled himself out
0: yeah some of them like thatcher heard cody schreier did it formally thatcher heard sent an email but didn't do it formally formally uh, you know like saying don't draft me and formally pulling yourself out are two different things
1: yeah for sure um eric i want to thank you for all of your time on this friday afternoon um thanks to everyone for listening thanks for everyone for um their involvement in our draft coverage this year yes um during the sunday night chat we had literally thousands of people with us um i went on to twitch on a lark on monday afternoon and kind of talked about the second and third rounds as they came off the board and and had nearly a thousand people watching my dumbass on twitch um if you if you liked what you you saw and you felt like the content was good we do always ask you to support us go to fangraphs.com and help us continue to do this kind of stuff for you we we are nothing without your support we can't exist without your support literally um and so please go to fangrafts.com and support us if you if you like what you did i think we covered the draft kind of wall to wall as good as anyone and i'm I'm proud of what we did i'm proud of what we accomplished we had a lot of fun woging the picks on sunday um and we'll continue to do that kind of thing and there'll be more um draft coverage and trade deadline coverage obviously and
0: um
1: it'll be time to update team lists with, with what happens after after the signing period and things like that so uh stay tuned thanks for uh sitting through six hours of chin music this week if you listen to both of these you are a psycho and i love you um and that's all thanks again eric see ya
0: What's a man